Good morning, boss. Morning. It's sure going to be a beautiful day. <laughs> yes, a beautiful day. to another episode of James Bond and Friends. Uh, this week, James Bond went to HR to complain about his pay uh, review, and then they pointed out to him that the watch they give him is twice the annual UK salary. <laughs> so, <laughs> fringe benefits. So this week, we are going to be watching Live and Let Die, and I'm joined by Bill, David, Calvin, Ben, Dr. Lisa, and Phil. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Koenig, and uh, I'm with the blog The Spy Command. David Lee here. I'm powered by rum and coke again, uh, inspired by hey. Calvin from last week. Ah. Oh, and well, I run I'm... the James Bond dossier. <laughs> I'm powered by. This is too second priority. I'm powered by the usual uh, Jack Daniels and Coke again this week after the brief flirtation with uh, rum and coke, which was uh, which was very good. It proved fruitful, I think. Uh, I, I'm Calvin Dyson, and I make uh, videos on a YouTube channel uh, sharing my name about James Bond. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Ben Williams. Uh, inspired by the futurists, I am um, making. I make my own cocktail for today. I love the fact that we just we're, we're, we're running with the what we're drinking thing. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've called it the No Time to Live and Let Die Another Day. Oh, um, good. And uh, yeah, because everything uh, it's everything is in it's it. like it's a, a mix of iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a mix of it's a mix of basically three cocktails. I'll put the recipe up on Twitter for people if they're interested in it. Cool. Um, oh yeah, and I write for um, mi6hq.com and the magazine mi6 confidential. Yeah, with varying quality depending on before or after that cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> Just varying quality anyway. <laughs> I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma, the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond, editor of For His Eyes Only, uh, The Women of James Bond. I'm just drinking a ginger ale with amaretto in it, so it's not as fancy as some of you, but I think we need like staple drinks for this movie today. Amaretto is quite fancy, I, I think, Ooh. anyway. I love I, it. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's so it goes, goes good with scotch, if you want to sweeten it up. I can tell you what doesn't go good with scotch. I found out this week. Um, Butterscotch liqueur, not a good combination. Yeah, my blood. That's horrific. Blood went up ten points just listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> Am I left? Uh, I'm yeah. Phil Nobile Jr., sitting editor of Fangoria Magazine. More sitting than editing, really. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to disagree. Amaretto, and when I say amaretto, it doesn't sound fancy. When Calvin says it, it sounds pretty fancy. 
Amaretto. Amaretto. There it is. I need a ringtone. Um, again, I'm not drinking anything. Like a, Cal, I think Calvin always sounds a bit like, um, you know, the voiceover for a cat in a, in a movie. You know. Oh, like a fancy cat. Like a fancy cat. A hairless so that's, cat. That's how a cat would sound. Yeah, a cat would sound if, if it could speak. Look. Hello. I, I love my here. owner the most when he feeds me whiskers. I think we should just give up on watching this film. It, this is- yeah. <laughs> let's quit while we're ahead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Calvin can do the roar in in a in a cat voice. Oh, I can. <laughs> You're trying to oh, oh, you find a for this. God, we're going oh. like to two levels of meta now. <laughs> <laughs> but if I do it, you'll have to leave that previous bit in the edit. So I'm going to yeah. do it. <laughs> Oh, don't worry. You guys did such a good job in the review to kill this long mentioning alien every five minutes that I couldn't edit it up. Oh, it is a classic film. I tried to take all the non-bond stuff out, and no, it was just like... It had tentacles throughout the whole two and a half. Oh, no, sorry, three and a half hours. And so. didn't, Phil, didn't Phil go on a run at the end of it where, like, Phil just kept mentioning, like, his favorite, like, every single film? Sure. And there's, like, there's no way of cutting that out. Yeah. The, the very last word is Alien Covenant. So. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Cam. No, I'm, just, I'm just pulling your legs. It's actually got a lot of fun. All right. Uh, okay. So, um... Live and Let Die. Everybody got their copy open? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, sir. In. Calvin's up. In mm-hmm. three, two, one, play. I went to a whole new place with that. Never accessed that part of my throat. All right, I'm rolling ours. Rolling ours on the roll. That's all but he said. I was trying not to laugh to give you the moment, but gosh, man. <laughs> Woo! I, uh, by the way, I misspoke on the spy watch along. There is an electric guitar here as well. It's kind yeah, of. It's not John Barry, though, is it? So. No, of course yeah. not. He wouldn't allow it. <laughs> and uh, when they did, uh, when they came time to film it, they did some test shots of Roger Moore with a hat, concluded eh, he doesn't look good with a hat. So He's always just carrying his hat in Tim's office. Yeah. Like. An electric guitar behind his back. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bruce style. Why do they have abandoned the widescreen format? Uh, good question. In this one. Anyone yeah, I, it's like, I don't know if it was cheaper somehow, but it is an oddity because both this and the man with the yeah. gun. Right. Director's choice. Yeah, I assume it was because Goldfinger is similar, man with the golden gun. I assume it's a Guy Hamilton thing. Uh, I don't know if <laughs> I they don't forced know what to do with all that phrase. But well, <laughs> he did it with. But he was in widescreen with diamonds. So I don't yeah, know. I um, wonder if that was some kind of uh, requirement. And then for this one, they were just, ah, you can do what you want. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to our podcast of wondering things out loud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. well, we don't know. <laughs> and this is why we always check the audio levels before we record. Uh-oh. How does right? this work? This fascination. Can somebody don't can touch somebody your ear. explain? Don't, don't touch your ears. Stop touching no, your ear. Yeah. Yeah. Like so. So there's a de- deadly. 
Uh, what? What? How does this even work? This assassination. I, well, I, I, blast, you know, his, his brain with like bad sound. But you know the funny thing is, uh, there's that ongoing investigation, isn't there, in real in real life about um, using audio in, in, in ter- using audio tones <laughs> yeah. in Cuba. That's right. Yeah, the U.S. embassy in yeah. Cuba. Yeah. Right. Hmm. So, um, how many of us has leaned against this pole and taken that picture? So, so um, this this I guy is like, this guy was apparently a friend of Roger Moore's going back to the fifties. But yeah, his dad was yeah. an actor or something that he was. Uh, yeah, you know. Roger Moore was taken with. Is that the story? But it sounds to my ear as if Shane Rumor dubs mm-hmm. him, and that's still hmm. uh, that's still disputed. But I, I'm with you, Bill. I think it's Shane Rumor dubbing it. Of course, so, Shane, um, Shane's no longer with us to verify that. Right. Verify, but. So his uh, his penfold from Mighty Mouse or Danger Mouse uh, <laughs> to uh, stab the guy. Um, Phil, we should put our pictures up side by side. Oh, on, absolutely! On Twitter, just to see <clears throat> see who who does it best. I have a very bushy beard in mine, so um, <laughs> I do not. We will see. That building that's catty corner. My beard's as bushy as her afro. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like Nikki Vandersil to me. Yeah. A knife to the yeah. kidney is insta death. <laughs> insta death. Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is good though um, with the coffin. Yeah. Yes. Someone yeah, it's, it's, it's a clever little. In fact, you can they, almost uh, not see the the cut. Um, in fact, I think they worked it into the TV commercial. I remember seeing that quite a bit. Hmm. So brave move, new Bond. Let's not put him in the pre-title not in, sequence. Not in, uh, will you stop doing this, James? I was right. just about to say. <laughs> not, and, 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 and not even a hint, because like this, you had the same thing with Golden Gun, because it was supposed to be a, st- a statue or figurine of Bond, but you, right. still, you still had Roger Moore. But yeah, no, there's not even a hint of Bond. And on in top of that, pre-title. he's sort of unceremoniously introduced when he is. He's just mm. he doesn't mm. get that moment that the the almost every other Bond gets, right? I mean. You mean like hanging upside down in the bathroom tall? Yeah, you know. <laughs> in the, well, in the toilet. Least, I mean, it, <laughs> at least the introductions to all the other bonds, you kind of, there's a kind of a, a, a build-up. Frisson, there's some stakes yeah. involved, even if it's, it, like, so with, with Sean, you've got the, you know, the, you know, you know that he's a gambler, you know that he's, uh, he, he has, um, he's good with women. Um, and then, you know, everybody else has their kind of, moment seeing it with pierce you've got um the toilet thing, but it is like it's a full mission <clears throat> but you, you, but, you Roger, get the whole, just, but you get the whole damn jump before yeah, he gets though, the so. jump and everything he the gets agent him. killed yeah, in, he gets uh, the jump you get the agent killed but, new orleans with was Roger. named hamilton yuck yeah. yuck uh, and yeah. this is baines that's a real snake <clears throat> Can I make a comment here? For some reason. Can I make a comment here? Yes. I know we're going to be talking um, a, a lot about race and racism in this film. And I know we're talking mm. about the introduction, but the introduction, and this is something my students comment on, what they don't really like about this introduction is the way that it vilifies an entire race of people by mm-hmm. by presenting them in two different scenarios, all of whom are like in sort of villainous concert with each other. And I think that's mm. something that they find really troublesome about the scenes in New Orleans and San, San Monique or San 
more Monique, wherever where, the island, sorry, sure. um, is that they mm. sort of struggle with trying to understand that there's no positive representations of black characters really in this film that are sort of strong characters that are sort of counteracting uh, this representation. So I just wanted to highlight it here, um, and that you mm. know that that the the representation of of black characters in this film it it is troublesome. It is it is problematic. Um, it, it is a reflection of the time, but it's also something that we shouldn't forget moving forward for future Bond films, that that we can represent characters um, in both positive and negative lights without, say, utilizing racial stereotypes. A couple things about the titles real quick. There's actually two versions of the titles, one with Saltzman getting top billing and one with Broccoli getting top (laughs) billing. And the ones with Saltzman getting top billing says, I believe, colored by Rank Film Laboratories, whereupon the ones with Broccoli getting... uh, Top billing is color by deluxe. No more color yeah. by Technicolor. Uh, oh, there it is. Most of us are watching the rank version. Today. I've got rank. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and this was uh, very much a Harry film, rank. wasn't it, Bill? Yeah, we no, are. Yes. Harry was on the set every day. Cubby was prepping for the next one. This is back. In, right. Just before I mean, no, this is back when they were kind of like they would they would alternating. Alternate, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I mean, Broccoli shows up from time to time. You know, like he he does show up during the Louisiana filming, and he does show up at the set on the. San Monique, but uh, also just the other thing I was going to say. So this, of course, was the first Bond song to get nominated for an Oscar, which uh, provided a moment of uh, interest for Bond fans on the Oscar telecast because Roger Moore was there to introduce the song. And he dropped in a plug. I'll soon be going to Far East to film The Man with Golden Gun. But here's anyway. But instead of having someone perform the song live, they simply played the soundtrack and they had a bunch of dancers Mm. dance. (laughs) And uh, the lead dancer was (laughs) Connie Stevens, uh, an actress. And then, uh, but then when it came time for the best song Oscar to be given away, the presenters were Burt Backrack and Anne Margaret. And Anne Margaret was wearing an evening dress with a hood attached. As the strangest thing ahead of the times, yeah. And uh, but but it lost to the way we were, and Anne Margaret was very hyped about that she was obviously that was her preferred song of the of the bunch but uh, hmm. going, I, back to the, going back to the so so let's just want to jump in before we yeah, skip yeah. over the, the harry saltzman thing um i pulled up a really great quote from guy hamilton this morning mm-hmm. and he said um he would happily make a film with harry happily make a film with cubby but not the two of them together <laughs> yeah. wow I was just going to say that I think that Live and Let Die, the song, is probably one of the best Bond songs out there. And I just Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that we just sort of, for me, it's a highlight of the film. It's something that's incredibly memorable. When I watch, you know, the the title sequence, I'm just hyped up because of the song, that the imagery in it, like, doesn't even, you know, um, uh, phase me one way or another. So I just wanted to highlight how much of a fan I am of this song. Well, in in 2006, they did a... uh, uh, opinion survey in the UK, like, what are your favorite songs? And so the top three were Goldfinger, Diamonds, and this. But among people 45 and younger, this was number one. Um, And it's a real shot in the arm in 1973 Uh, as well. Like coming off of like going back to the safety of Shirley Bassey in in Diamonds, like it's just a really ballsy move. And I I really appreciate that about it in the timeline. Well, and also George Martin is doing the score for this, but George Martin was also actively involved in producing the song sure. and also negotiating with Harry Saltzman. And of course, Saltzman actually liked the song, but he's like, okay, who are we going to get to sing it? 
well, you do have Paul McCartney. <laughs> and then and then Harry Saltzman, oh, how about Aretha Franklin? How about this? You know, go, you know, all women singers. And finally, George Martin had to say, if you don't take Paul McCartney, you don't get the song. And thus, <laughs> and thus it was so. Oh, and also, uh, we were seeing Bernard Lee, and it's like there was some talk. This is according to Roger Moore's Live and Let Die diary. There was some talk he might not be able to do this. Yeah, he I was guess very ill. He was very ill. And um, Kenneth um, Moore, uh, apparently. Yeah, Harry, like, uh, he had, Harry had co- uh, Kenneth Moore on, on speed dial in case they, yeah. he couldn't do it. Yeah. Hmm. And, and then, then, then it begs the question, if Kenneth Moore had played M in this film, would he have been playing the same M? Right. Oh God! Mm. Well, <laughs> who else did he play in the franchise? George, <laughs> James saw. James probably saw the same thing on Facebook. I saw, but uh, yeah, but you know what's funny about the bill? I, I've kind of come around to um, Raymond Benson's approach on this. Yeah, um, but seventy-one percent of the audience disagree. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Most well, people I'm, think he's a different yeah. M. And and my know, and my I, stack no. line there is like you know it's vague enough you could go either way it's like yeah the script says you know the script in Octopus he pretty much indicates it's the same one but people don't get to read the script you're in the audience you don't get to copy you know they don't hand out copies of the script on your way out of the theater it's the whole death um, of the author thing again isn't it yeah I just I think coming back to this being you know an introduction to to, to Bond, I just think it's very interesting that one, you don't have Q kind of equipping him. You know, this mm-hmm. is a very kind of this is a break from the kind of the tradition of like the you know going to M's office, getting the brief for the mission there. But it's also this kind of uh, bedrooms and corridors kind of farce, um, which is something that again that we haven't really sort of seen with Bond before. And it's kind of I don't know whether they were doing this just to kind of play to to Rogers kind of. Almost, it's uh, it's a little bit on the buses, kind of comedy, isn't it? Well, it is. and um, and well, and also there was a conscious attempt to not copy Sean Connery where they didn't have to. And oh, I was also going to say this is the second time we've seen Bond's home flat, but uh, he apparently yeah. totally redecorated <clears throat> redecorated he, after he, Doctor he, No. He, he, yeah, he moved the TV to a place <laughs> that you could watch it. <laughs> 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 I wrote an interesting article on my on my blog. If anyone is interested about James Bond's flat, so um, hmm. do feel free to. Uh, We've to only read seen three, haven't we? We've only seen it three Four times. Or if you can't yeah. make no uh, time to die. Um, and well, also, uh, in, uh, it's well described in the novel. So, um, being a literary guy as well, I kind of this so closest to the novel. I feel like, yeah. Have yes, I agree with you. Um, having this is before my time on this planet, um, and I was going through some old um, TV Times magazines of like the early seventies because there's a lot of Bond because that's when they started going on TV in the UK, mm-hmm. and I had no idea that Madeline Smith, who's in you know in the pre times, she was in <clears throat> she was all over the place early seventies mm-hmm. in the UK. Mm-hmm. She was in tons of stuff. I had no idea. Yeah. I thought she was just kind of one of those little known actresses they pluck out to do this but no she was she was in like the press all the time when this yeah. came out so i love that a man comes i love that superimposition over her green screen table there yeah i do too it's very peter uh, hunt foreshadowing the quantum of solace uh drive table oh, yeah. uh, 
but the nonsensical version of the quantum of solace thing where that that screen is happening on his windshield as he's driving around in haiti yeah, yeah. <laughs> or when uh when lazenby's thinking about diana rigg in the snow in m's window there's those little I, moments I, love yeah, that. I agree phil yeah i think it's very very good bit of storytelling we wouldn't we wouldn't really see it done now um i i loved it in the Manchester secret service i loved it in uh, just just now it's a really mm-hmm. i just want to quickly say that that chesterfield leather gloves um royal navy tie is probably the the best that we're gonna see roger moore looking yeah it's uh, all downhill 70s is a big downhill, downhill quote for him after that yeah yeah <laughs> no no no, no, no. Um, the black turtleneck that is coming up is mm-hmm. i love, I love yeah, yeah. a black turtleneck on roger moore mm-hmm. that, the, that's um, the best he does looks. The yeah he does look good but uh, <laughs> that and the, and, and the uh, cocktail cuff shirt is just it's banging i love it uh the cab driver i think is joey chitwood a stunt driver of mm-hmm. uh some renown at the time and they had to they had to close this whole bit of uh, uh right, they, freeway, they, didn't they? They filmed it on an, a Sunday morning because it was the only time right. traffic was light enough they could get away with that. And of course, so when we see um, all these cars, we see are like uh, with the production Sun drivers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can one of you? It's, a, it's impressive. One of you historical experts talk us through that the many times they keep trying to bring Bond back to New York. I always feel like I read it mm-hmm. in the development stuff, but. Yeah. yeah, it keeps getting rumored, uh, but I just don't know if it's just too I, cost I, prohibitive and, and other movies, especially US-based productions, have just used it so much now that it's kind of lost its... Um, hmm. I think there was talk around the time of Quantum for mm-hmm. uh, um, a New York set piece. Oh, I think it was supposed to be following um, Bond in, you know, the 007 in New York kind of... Yeah, and because, that, because that short story title's never been used, it always... You know, comes up in rumored titles for the next Bond yeah, film, they, doesn't it? They kind of used it for um, the end of Quantum of Solace. You know, the tack on, tacked on ending that they kind of right. pre-shot. Uh, it's sort of, it's sort of playing into the into that short story. I always felt Bond in the short story. If anyone doesn't know, uh, listening is um, the Bond is sent to New York to alert a British agent that her boyfriend is, uh, in fact. Um, I think a Russian agent, if I'm correct yeah, in saying. Yeah, a double or something. Um, a double well, agent and, and is a, a potential security risk. I was about to say, and also the short story 007 in New York was commissioned basically to make the book Thrilling Cities more saleable because mm-hmm. Fleming was apparently having a bit of a problem finding a U.S. publisher. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll add a James Bond short story I do. So I, I'm ashamed to say that I've never made the connection between 007 in New York and the end of Quantum of Solace, but you're completely right. Mm. I felt like that, that's where they were, they yeah, were kind yeah, of going yeah. with no, that. I, 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 well, I mean, I, that's, I, that's Purvis and Wade all over, isn't it? Because yeah. they, pull, they pulled yeah. the Solange character, character's name in, in yep. uh, Casino it's from that Casino, same yeah. short story. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think it could have, I think it could have worked in New York. They could have done something along the lines of that, but it's, um, and, and, you know, the whole short story is a kind of a punch set up punchline for, you know, the zoo <clears throat> not having a reptile house and, yeah. you know, but it, it was far more realistic to send the head of the secret service into Russia. We just saw the first scenes with David Hedison as Felix. Um, I think, 
Hedison was a was a move up from Norman Burton in Diamonds. Um, and of course, uh, we've talked before, David Hedison and Roger Moore were friends. David Hedison had appeared on The Saint. Um, and he was, you know, in the middle of a very busy career when this came out. So he was on U.S. television a lot in the 70s. Sure. But Norman Burton was in Planet of the Apes. So them's fighting words, Bill. <laughs> well, I think Norman Burton basically got the job in Diamonds because he could make Connery look more athletic by comparison. Another movie with a gorilla suit. <laughs> Another movie with a, with a gorilla suit in it. Yeah, yeah. He knew his way around. I like Harrison, though. I think, you know, it's a testament to, to his performance in this movie that he, he gets asked to come back uh, for, you know, uh, License to Kill. Um, he's he's just got a, a, a kind of a, a bunkular charm to him, and I think uh, that that's perfect for Felix. And and also uh, in this film, Felix is like cleaning up Bond's messes a lot. <laughs> you know, well, we'll we'll get to it later, but uh, in particular in the New Orleans sequence. But uh, so this location is a house still there, it's mm. the same garage. And they just <clears> turned yeah. it into a facade of a shop on the front. Lots of Bond fans stood outside. It's a, it's a hair salon, isn't it? Yeah. The front of it? I think it is. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Can we talk a for a moment on... about uh, voodoo and its representation yes. in this? Um, so Ooh. voodoo is actually an African diasporic religion. Um, so there's actual religious tenets. There's a culture to it. And just to note that most often in, I don't know, Western Northern media, it's it's presented in kind of stereotypical terms. You know, there there isn't somebody who's a practitioner who's sort of writing this script, and so it is a problematic aspect. This is the only Bond film that has supernatural aspects um, uh, sort of coded in and through it. And so, I think one main critique of of this film is the fact that it doesn't ne necessarily accurately represent this 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 religion and its practices, but it utilizes it as as sort of a device. And so just wanted to sort of throw that 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 point out there before we start making our way through the rest of the film. And and also um, entertainment has a long history of doing just what you described, yeah, Lisa. Yeah. It's not just um, a bomb thing. Because I have a um, oh, there was this uh, anthology show hosted by Boris Karloff and I know one of the episodes had to deal with voodoo and the star was John Ireland and anyway but it, you know this this happens a lot um well in the book um, the book to, stops in to, its tracks to have Fleming just go on and on a reading from another book about voodoo um <laughs> it's, it's so interesting isn't it Phil it's so interesting isn't it the way it's just like he, he kind of like a you know what? I'm just going to take half of another book and just drop it in here, fill up some pages. The yeah. editor wants some. Yeah, yeah. But it is a bit. It is about three pages just from from that book. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Also, we're about to see the depiction of uh, African American people. Uh, the one car was described as a pimp mobile, yeah, um, mm -hmm. and that reflects some of the black ploistic black exploitation movies of the early 70s. This is a chicken and, or egg uh, thing, though. But, but around the time this movie came out, the depiction of pimps wearing 
coats that went down to their ankles and foam big, big hats big and hats. yeah that was all over the place and yeah. uh, oh and here we're going to see arnold williams as the cab driver uh yeah. who's driving bond around we and he's, uh, he's really on the payroll of uh Kananga. but anyway well, it's like this came out in the summer of 73 and then in the fall of 73 in one of the early episodes of Kojak, I was watching it and it's like, there he is. He's driving a cab again. <laughs> Did he have the mic drop still? Cast. <laughs> yeah. Totally typecast. Yeah. But you raise a really good point about black exploitation and sort of the shift in Bond culture. So like in the 1960s, really the Bond films were setting trends, right? They, they sort yeah. of came out as a phenomenon and so we have all other spinoff films, you know, our man and Flint, is it Flint? Jack? Our yeah, man Flint. Flint. Yes, and like our Operation, man Flint and like Flint. Operation Kid Brother, things like that playing off of the Bond brand. But by the time we hit the 1970s, it's really about the Bond franchise reacting and responding to trends to stay viable. So you see yeah. the influence of black exploitation here. You have the influence of Kung Fu films and Man with the Golden Gun. Right. You have Star Wars and sort of those space um, epics and operas in Moonraker. Um, <laughs> some of us have seen it. Some of us haven't. But you really see, like <laughs> the Bond films uh, uh, really sort of like playing with and piecing with in order to tap into these ready-made fan bases. But I think it's important to note that like live and let die is not a black exploitation film. It just pulls heavily and relies on iconography, some music. Also just real quick. So the cab driver played by Arnold Williams just radioed in. So like bond is like, kind of like, he doesn't realize the extent of which right. this organization is like sure. keeping tabs on him. They, they know exactly, <laughs> if not exactly well, who he is, they knows he's someone to be yeah. dealt with. Uh, to- to your point, Bill, and also to Lisa's, um, yes, this definitely, you know, is is taking uh, its cue from black exploitation films of the time. And yes, Bill, you're right. He kind of does uh, feel like he's out of place here, and like they all, you know, have the upper hand on him. But it's directly from Fleming's book, you know. So although yes, right. it is a is is copying black exploitation or, or or feeding in off the black exploitation films. This this scene and and him and him entering Harlem happens in the book almost yeah. exactly like this. <clears throat> just and, and so, just for a little bit of a broader perspective. So at the time this film came out, there had already been three Shaft movies. They you well, know they cranked out what Shaft one a year. Sh- yeah. uh, Shaft's big they, score they in seventy two and and yeah. Shaft in Africa yeah. in seventy three, and you had Superfly. You had all this stuff. So I mean, it was a big thing. Sure. Um, when uh, I produced a documentary about black horror films last year, and and the '70s is a huge flashpoint in it. After after white Ooh. Hollywood recognized they could make money off of black audiences, and suddenly you get an explosion of films with black leading men and set in black communities. Uh, still, white people making most of them, uh, and occasionally they would have black directors. But this is um, this well, is not that different in its DNA from the actual exploitation films in that it's it's made mostly by white producers. Well, Gordon Parks. Sure. Uh, directed the first two Shaft movies, but Shaft himself was created by Ernest Tidyman, who was a ri- white the writer. The novel, yeah. Yeah. And I don't what know do if we think of uh, Mr. Biggs uh, Diggs here. Mr. Biggs Diggs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Has anyone brought up the fact, sorry, I had to take my dog potty for a second, um, yeah. about the fact that Diana Ross was considered for the part of solitaire? Right. Yes. Yeah. In fact, Tom Mankiewicz <laughs> specified that. He was yeah. very, he was vocal about that. Yeah, and we talk about the, the racism and the dated stuff, but Mank- Mankiewicz and I think, you know, probably most of this crew thought they were doing something progressive here at the time. And they're kind of doing things that you hadn't really seen in in a mainstream white franchise before. You know, there's going to be interracial romance happening here, and uh, it's 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 a turning point in some ways. Even though if it's not if it's not aged all that well, it's it's not a particularly uh, egregious move at the time. It's it's a little forward thinking. And if you if you get a chance to read Roger Moore's diary of the thing, there's a lot of. Uh, anecdotal stuff about distributors having problems with this movie and and yes. and executives and and broccoli and crew saying fuck them <laughs> and uh yeah. you know i i think there's there's always intent versus impact and you have to like measure all that but i i think it's important to note that like nobody was trying to exploit the, the black audience here they, they thought they were oh. doing something kind of forward thinking well and Mankwitz specifically said he did not want any of the black actors to appear to be foolish or silly. Um, yeah, there's, so there's that no was, comic relief even here in, in terms right. of the black folks. Pepper, well, right. so, that's, with, so uh, that's what JW led up to later. the so that's what led to the creation of J.W. Pepper. Yeah, he became the buffoon. Yep, but and we'll get to him later. But I mean, and he is a buffoon. But he, there's also in this movie more than Golden Gun. There's some like dark hints about J.W. Um, <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. So we've just seen like our introduction to Jane Seymour, but um, when when they kind of um, blackballed the Diana Ross idea, Eon went to Gail Honeycutt to oh, for the lead. Um, really? She she was pregnant, so they had to look again. Um, and Cubby Broccoli approached Helen Mirren's agent <gasps> and offered her a quarter of a million pounds. Whoa. Um, and apparently the story goes that <clears throat> Helen Mirren said the, the money would have been lovely, the promotional tour would have been great, but she never would have done it for the check. It wasn't about it. Oh, it wasn't about yeah. a star. And apparently, so Kobe Broccoli allegedly had a lunch with her agent. Let and me this just cut this, Gail Honeycutt. I'm being very. Uh, I know. I'm being um, restrained. I can't mention anything about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and apparently, Kobe got a bit pissed at the uh, "I'm not going to do it for the money" uh, response. And said, you know, just if, to- if this young lady thinks she's above our little film and just wants to hang out with all these people from the RSC, then let that be her problem. That's what mm. he said. Uh, worked out for her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's fine. Um, I, I, I love uh, I, I love Strata. Uh, um, he's um, he's a great character, and, and, and to at least his point earlier on that you yeah. don't get any really great great characters in he- this movie. He's, yeah. it, you know, this whole sequence where he saves Bond's ass and basically kind of like does the uh, a white face in Harlem line. It, you know, he's uh, he's a very cool cat, and uh, yeah, I, I like the scene a lot. The actor's name is Lon Stratton, and he may be the oldest surviving actor in the Bond series with the death of, uh, I'm sorry, Earl... Cameron. Earl Cameron. Earl Cameron, yeah. Lon yeah. Stratton was born in 1929. He might be next up in terms of oldest Bond actor. I think um, just on that subject and sort of looping back to what Phil was saying earlier on about, um, you know, I I think the filmmakers could, you know, uh, be accused of ignorance, certainly, but I don't think there is any 
you know, there's no intentional malice. malice. Yeah, exactly. No. And particularly when you uh, compare it to the book that they're adapting from, which is just full of the most, like, I was quite stunned reading it. And even when you do eventually get to Fleming's version of, you know, a, uh, an ally black character in uh, Quarrel. He's described as sort of, you know, he's black, but he has, you know, Caucasian features or whatever it is that <laughs> Fleming describes it as. So it's like, oh, right, that's your caveat, is it, for uh, mm-hmm. uh, an ally black person, which is quite... And, yeah. the, uh, and, the, and the phonetic kind of... Oh, like, don't even get me started on that. Well, and, and also the, the one chapter title in the British edition... Which in the American mm, edition has changed to Seventh Avenue. No, um, none of the copies I have, Bill. The, yeah, have <laughs> uh, Folio have Society, that, Penguin, uh, they've all got the original title on there. On that chapter. Um, I, yeah, I so have great. a signet paperback from ah. the 60s, and it's changed to Seventh really? Avenue. Interesting. Because yeah, I the, also have a good. British edition as yeah. well. I, I've, got a, I've got several editions. The, the most recent edition that was put out, though, has the the chapter title changed and it has a combination of the uh the chapter is a combination of the british and american versions hmm well yeah it's not it's not great is it let's face it Meanwhile, uh, this and, guy is like an incredibly uh, limber person. Um, that's yeah, impressive. <laughs> I mean, Calvin, you commented about it in your recent review about Living Let Die. It's like this is like a fan. You know, it's like, boy, what kind of entertainment they have for the hotel guests? Here. <laughs> um, would Jeffrey Holder make number one in the performing arts than James Bond's? Oh video? hell yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Did you definitely. see that show? We just saw that's a yeah. very that, that beats butterflies on strings and whatever right. else we have in this series. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, around the same time, Jeffrey Holder was doing commercials for Seven Up. That's young right. Cola, man, Young Cola, <laughs> and like Seven Up oh. has no caffeine. <laughs> I yeah, let's not do that. But um, so, can I just say that um, I've uh, I've travelled a lot with work, and I've known friends of mine that I've been traveling with that have gone into hotel rooms, opened the closet and seen women's clothes in it. The first reaction isn't, oh, somebody's staying with me. It's, I've got the wrong hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I I just want to say one real quick thing about Jeffrey Holder, those 7-Up commercials. That's how I discovered Jeffrey Holder. It's like, like, oh, it's like, and it turns out he's a very, you know, I learned later. I mean, I was 15 when this movie came out and these commercials were running with Jeffrey Holder. So then like later, oh, he's this incredibly accomplished guy. Like, oh, yeah. And then you see my variety shows of the era and whatnot. Yeah. I love the way that he first went, his first reaction was to go to the grapes yeah. <laughs> rather than anything else. There's a bug in here. It's probably in the grapes. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I, I think it's. It's um, his, it's his raison d'etre. that's so above me i don't even get it it's we've gone to that level of highbrow we we do highbrow above the eyebrow (laughs) (laughs) i'm hanging out (laughs) (laughs) i'm out that's it podcast over goodbye um what is he doing with this brush right now is he morse coding coding jr Fans of Doctor it's Who will recognize that prop. No, Coral Jr. Um, he's the, oh, Coral Jr. the man who shares my hairbrush. This is what you know he's talking what? about. I, I, I could never figure that out, uh, but like Coral Jr. is as logical a candidate as it could be. Mm. 
Oh, they, we're going to get to a few so of them. So the man who shares my hairbrush makes it makes there you go. sense yeah, now. Yeah, that, that, that's I, it. I feel that's like the link. I never, I never got this. I will just say this: it's not particularly sophisticated to shave in the bar. No, uh, no. You know, we've we gentlemen here have probably all done it at some point, uh, but it, I wouldn't say that it's particularly Bondian. No. Um, well, again, it goes back to how they're trying to make the Roger Moore Bond different from the Sean Connery. I'm going to say that grouting's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they're going to zoom in on it, then <laughs> also they try to dial up the uh, tension by when Bond changes the mirror just so he can't see the snake. Um, yeah. mm. I, I can't oh, wait. What's the champagne? What's the what's the champagne brand? I didn't quite catch it. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't think, uh, can't see. No, I can't see. Um, Can you imagine the discussion in the production? It was like, well, we can't. We won't be able to see the label when it's in the bucket. I know. Let's put the label on the bucket. <laughs> oh, you would. Jo- oh, right. Oh, I thought you. That was a genuine question. <laughs> <laughs> Calvin's like, I got the answer. <laughs> yeah, you need to work on it's the cynicism a bit, Calvin. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's interesting that um, Bond, you know, tips tips whisper, uh, whisper there, and um, in for your eyes only, he right. kind of is, he shares a kind of a nice line with um, you know the the, the, the chauffeur driver, uh, Apostas. You know, there's yeah. times where he's actually and then in Moonraker, nice he just stiffs the guy. Gonna, yeah, yeah. Not- but, but there are times when when he the people who try to kill him later on, like he's actually had some kind of little relationship with. This is great. True. We've all done this. I actually got suspended from school. For oh doing man! This. The next day, this <laughs> was like the Sunday night movie, and the next day, my brothers and I were doing this in the backyard, not to snakes, yeah. but you know, with with, with cigars <laughs> yeah. to each other, uh, whatever we had. I don't know. A joy. Yeah, I got I got suspended from a, for, for from school for a week for, for doing that. Just uh, thank you, thank you, Bond. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say that they they ought to put these curtains on the 007 stool. They're, they're lovely. <laughs> That's right. They probably charge ten thousand pounds for them. <laughs> yeah, and, and they match the headboard. I think they do. Make a dress. I think that robe could move a few units. <laughs> In fact, Gloria I'm Henry's surprised they haven't mess. sold this robe on the 007 store. Living like die, James Bond. Why is she Bond not robe? awake? Even I don't understand it. Yeah, why is there that not that robe? All those paintings should be on the James Bond store. But can we go? Rosie's rig. Can we go back to the wig though? I mean, you're talking yes. about him meeting his counterpart and like flipping her over, and her losing her wig is actually like a humiliating action. And so, like, even mm. from the outset, like, she's presented as being, like, the Never butt. To Sean. The that's butt why we had to see, that's, that's why we had to see the grapes. Yeah. Mm. So, it's Chekhov's grape. This is, uh, <laughs> I, have, I have no grapes, concrete evidence here, crop. but uh, Lashana Lynch is wearing a wig in the nightclub scenes in No Time to Die, and she's not wearing a wig in his apartment yeah. in, in House in that's Jamaica. Right. Mm. So, she loses that wig so somewhere. There's going to be a but callback. There's, yeah. But there's a difference between, yeah. say, taking off your own wig and presenting yourself and having it, in a sense, sort of removed. Um, right. But I don't that's know what's what I'm going to happen in this Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, she's, you know, we talked about how there was nobody buffoonish. She's played the most buffoonish of the yeah. black characters yeah. in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly yeah. It's, I, it's not. Yeah. Well, I'd say less buffoon, more naive. Yeah. yeah. She starts getting scared yeah. of like scarecrows and yeah. stuff. I don't know. There's, there's naivety and then there's just sort of borderline kind of idiocy. And I, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, she's, she's definitely portrayed as 
you know, why why would a CIA agent not real react capable in this way? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, she wouldn't. Yeah. She, she she would not be acting like this, and I don't think I don't really think that anybody would be acting like this. About the age <laughs> well, they will be hooking so, up in less than ninety seconds. This <laughs> <laughs> lick, lick you into shape line is fantastic, though, um, and uh, um, I, I have to say, a great ad lib from from Roger. Oh. Um, uh, I I think you know the fact that she kept a straight straight face when he said it is uh, is testament to her her acting ability because <laughs> I'd I'd have lost it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 you know it it goes to, it goes to kind of uh, speak for Roger's casting in this. You know he is a guy that has had so much experience in front of the camera. Um, he's so confident. Um, and to have okay, yeah, he's forty-five in this, I think, um, and, and yet, you know, he still looks great. He still looks young, but he has all of the has all of the experience that comes with his kind of, you know, big film and television career that he's had before him. And so he's he's effortless through through this film, which, are, which is something I really like. Is this one of those riffs on we know a little bit about voodoo, so we'll make a little hat with chicken feathers on it? Well, Hat on the bed, yeah. like, like uh, that, that movie Who that put skates that drug, drugstore cowboy or something. <laughs> yeah. Who put that there? Like in the film logic? Who? Why? It's the the, the, a very small yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> but what's it supposed to do? It's bad luck. Uh, Head on um, a bed is, is uh bad, bad juju. Yeah. Ah, right. Okay. Now, so uh, Bond's about to find a, yeah. a note with some uh, voodoo cards, and he's going to go to a shop to have them deciphered. I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Who, who did these the come from? Who did he? Who sent the card? Because he's not met Solitaire at the well, moment. No. Is well, it yes, Coral he met, Junior? He met, he met her in Harlem. Oh, sorry. Yes, he has. Yes, but she's not in a position where she'd help him no. out i don't think uh, and this is where because in the book she's completely like oh my god just get me away from this like just help me out of this and i think this is where they it's probably just a um a casualty of multiple screenplay drafts that they sort of maybe in some yeah. version solitaire was closer to what she's like in the book um yeah, but, but, versions but, but, not. i don't think they thought that you know however many years in the future people would be talking over you know a uh, uh, kind of a computer network that didn't even exist. Well, no, but I mean, it, it's, it, it, it does... examining. Well, no, I mean, I don't think it's a thorough examination. It's it's quite a plot point that proves to him that the, that Rosie is a... Um, uh, an, and and in the, when you watch these things for the first time, you do just kind of let it wash over you. And you're like, yeah. oh, well, it'll get explained to me in half an hour or whatever. And it, it just so happens that this never does. I... Guess no, it might have come indeed. from Coral Junior. He might have looked Rosie up, and she's not who she says she is. Yeah. But why he would choose to communicate that with a tarot card, yeah. which Bond would have to go and then no, look I, up. No, I, I agree. I, why didn't he just? If it was him, why didn't he just go? Oh, yeah, no, she's a wrong. Yeah, uh, you know, instead instead of all of this kind of weird kind of coded messaging between the the, the two of them. Yeah, mm. but, but the, um, the and also we're playing Coral as as, right. as a bad guy here for a moment. Yeah. But with the with the hat and the the bloodied feather on the bed as a warning, uh, it's is can it we, like can a, we just point out can we just point out there's some porn on the wall. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, the, David. The, no, it's just it's just like is it saying that well uh, every black person understands what this is about? Mm. Yeah, because you know why why 
as you know, as we were talking about her being a CIA agent again, um, she why doesn't she just say, "Oh, it's some kind of voodoo bollocks"? But instead, she's actually scared mm. by it. Mm. Right. Yeah. So she understands well, the warning, and it's uh, that's I don't know how unintentional it is, or 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 chicken or egg it is, but even going into the book in this one, there's this. It's sort of like it's a racist stereotypical idea that that you hear here and there in the world that that uh, when, when when white people assume that black people all know each other, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you know, you know, so and so, don't you? And, and it happens a lot with my with my black friends; they have to deal with it all the time. But um, they've extrapolated that into a criminal network that's in, all in constant contact with each other, <laughs> like the mm-hmm. shoeshine guy and the cab driver and the waiter. They they all they are all in on it, and. Uh, I think that extends partially to like her being in the know automatically, you know, as you're saying. Oh, by the yeah. way, um, re- revolvers don't have safety catches just out of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're that guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 I think um, this, this is obviously, this is Jamaica and um, you know, I've, I've actually been past this, building but on the mainland it's uh, it uh, does exist um still um but it's interesting how they kind of gone to a very kind of fleming location uh, of jamaica and um turned it into kind of this fantasy place of san monique um sorry not to take away from your your, your point there Phil. no i was done um, Okay. <laughs> Where I'm surprised. I'm surprised you wanted to, wanted to talk about guns again, Ben. Considering you got slapped out last time on Twitter. Uh oh. I always get it wrong. I think I know stuff, but I don't. I'm I'm I'm, I'm a pretend expert on anything. Um, oh, and here we are in but, the uh, uh, competition of the flared trousers. We've got Roger Moore. We got yeah. Jane Seymour. We got. Uh, it's the costuming. It's just fantastic for this. You know. Uh, like obviously it is reflective of the period and everything, but um, you know it's uh, like like all parts of a Bond film. It's kind of like yeah. larger she, than life. And she went to the 007 store to get a 007 tarot card. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, she did. <laughs> it's odd that she would have the 007 logo on the back of her cards, considering it's just a, it's just well, a coincidence. You know, just so quick story. They commissioned an artist to create these cards originally for the for the film, and then was it five, seven, eight, nine years ago? Um, Factory Entertainment yeah. brought out the replicas, and they went back and got the artist's original work and remade them all again. So, mm. but yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't know, I never noticed for years that it was say, said 007 on the back. I don't think, or maybe I did, and mm. my brain just uh, erased it. A nice little um, kind of subtle logo pattern. Um, it's nicely done. <laughs> Is that cynicism <laughs> again? Is that what that was? Just a magic eye drawing quality to it. You have to stare at it for a second. <laughs> the 007 pops out at you eventually. <laughs> Calvin, can you can you get your work to send you on a cynicism course or something? <laughs> uh, <laughs> is, is, that is doesn't this, exist in my workplace. <laughs> Can someone can not. someone answer this question for me? Is, is this, this, the is this the same place? place <laughs> is this the place where Sean uh, and uh, Honey have a have a like wash their clothes? Uh, laughing in waters. No. Well, they yeah, they've gone after Laughing Waters. They're 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 on some river uh, at that point. 
I was in Golden. Yeah, Lake. but you know, you know where the point I'm, I, I'm, I'm in, Phil. You know where, where you know he's kind of wringing out his shirt or whatever, and she, and she, and she describes she, the kind of talking like, about killing the guy with the tarantula or something. Yeah, exactly. That is—is is this the same location? This is the this is the frame here that's been so badly photoshopped for the latest DVD. Oh yeah, he's all cleaned up. Oh yeah. When he looks young, I don't know why they did. Why did they have to photoshop this one? Mm. <laughs> I hope I look like that when I'm forty-five. God, he's fantastic. Ooh. For yeah. Unfortunately, I I I don't. I reached forty-five thinking I would uh, I would look this young and fresh face, but. Uh, no, it's all it's all just gone horribly down as <laughs> well. I look more I look like that now. <laughs> <laughs> so on the commentary track, Tom Mankwitz says he really regretted how Rosie uh, met her demise. Mm. And he said he even went and apologized to uh, Gloria Hendry about it. Um, yeah. yeah. It's a it's a shame, isn't it, Bill? It's you know, it's it's a it's a kind of a tragic end to a character, really. Why doesn't the scarecrow just shoot Bond? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm guessing it only has one shot. <laughs> one shot. So there you go. That's the double feature: guns with one bullet. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Is that whoever was operating that decided, are we going to kill her instead, actually? I think, you know what? I, I don't think it's like, oh, someone's coming by. Yeah, hit the button. Get her. Oh, is it Maybe automatic? Like tripwire, trip I think. Yeah, yeah, that's why they can't get Amazon deliveries on San Monique now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. Tee we're seeing here, he, he's this menacing presence throughout. His, uh, the actor's name was Julius W. Harris, and he... Uh, he had a long career. And in 1976, uh, there was this very quickly made, um, quickly produced, made for TV production about the Entebbe raid uh, in Uganda. And Godfrey Cambridge was going to play Idi Amin, and then he dropped dead of a heart attack. And Julius W. Harris was the emergency replacement. Mm-hmm. Idi, Amin, Idi Amin, like, gloated about Godfrey Cambridge's unfortunate demise. Um, anyway, he's also in a mo- a great movie called The Taking of Pelham 123. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he plays the police chief, yeah. doesn't he? Good. Yeah. yeah. Good movie. Yeah. Very um, good actor. Teehee was one of the characters we brought back for our uh, EA game concept. Because mm. uh, he, he doesn't, he, you know, he was one that we thought we could get away with bringing back because all he does is get thrown out the train window. Hmm. The, um, just, just a note, this must have been a very early use of a hang glider in a film. Cause it, yes. Right, it was, yeah. yeah. I think very early, uh, if, I'm, if I'm right. So saying. Bond can expertly pilot it in Live and Let Die, um, but then in Moonraker, crashes it into the jungle. <laughs> There's a lot of crosswinds at uh, yeah, it's the, it's the air current yeah, caused uh, by the waterfalls. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly, David. You know, you get those spiraling updrafts. Um, it's very dangerous. I think Yafet Koto um, was in another really notable film, wasn't he? Uh, was it? We talked about a, it last there episode. Was a, there was a space thing. I think. I can't yeah. Remember what it was called. Was yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, five letters, no, singular. Uh, <laughs> 1979 no, release, I think. Slipped my mind entirely. I can't, can't think of what it was. Oh, no, Nightmare on Elm Street to... Six. That's it. That's <laughs> <laughs> he was a guest star in a famous crime drama in the states, but I won't say what it is. 
Anyway. Uh, here we got some great day for night shooting. Uh, one of the things about day for night is, is um, it, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes like here it absolutely doesn't. Uh, particularly <laughs> when you're filming on a very sunny island like Jamaica, <laughs> it's very, very difficult to kind of convincingly sure. do day for night. Um, and I'm it's, not convinced. It's the only story reason that to infiltrate, he would have to do it at night. Yeah, and then and then he just does this reversible thing, magic mic, unknown reason. <laughs> <laughs> like, where's the where's the lo- where's the plot logic in him having this reversible outfit? Blend in. Uh, Looks better yeah. right there. That's what. That's the logic. <laughs> matches that green cape he's sort of wearing there so can yeah. we can we talk about what's about to happen with yes. switching the tarot uh, cards um, I, I get that you know for some this might be like really funny like oh cool he sort of has used her cards against her besides mm. the fact that she firmly believes in these cards and the fact that her power and importance is centered on her virginity um, and she's already had um her boss threatened to take away her virginity from her where he says, I will take it when I choose this scene. There's a lack of consent and there's coercion that goes on. He stacked the deck. And so (laughs) she doesn't actually choose to sleep with him. She's actually sort of tricked into sleeping with him and it doesn't come across. Well, Um, it doesn't feel good to watch. Um, And even the next morning, I mean, she, or the, or the, the moment after she looks really stunned by it. And I feel as though her positioning in this film after this moment is completely diminished. She's just along for the ride. Um, And Um, so I don't know if others have feelings about this scene. Well, all those are very valid points. But I was going to say, though, it could be at least this is the closest counter argument I can even think Mm. of is like going way back to New York when she first met Bond and she drew the lover's card. Yeah. So she may have felt. It was sure. inevitable anyway. That's that. That's the best counter argument I could get. I mean, I'm not disputing any of you your points, of but course, I'm saying yeah. that's I think her, that's the best. I think her powers, her powers can predict that he will do this, right. right? And that and that it will be an inevitability. That doesn't take away from the fact that he stacks the deck in order to do it. Mm. Um, it's one of yeah. Like, with all that's, of the that's, 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 that's a that's a Bond villain style thing rather than the Bond thing to do. And mm. and, yeah, and, and I, let's I, face I, it, I, over I his hate it. <laughs> over his career, Roger Moore uh, played cads once in a while, like in uh, oh, the last time I saw Paris, the uh, sins of Rachel Cade, and here. So there you go. I think it's very, and, yeah. they, and they do it in The Man with the Golden Gun as well with Maud Adams, where they, they put him in situations that I don't think he as an actor can do this. Like what the character is doing is kind of reprehensible enough, but I don't think he can play like this. He's just caressing her face. It's really creepy and weird. And I don't like it. It's <laughs> awkward when he like pats no. her on the thigh. Like it's. Well, there you go, darling. I've just raped you. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> it, it's very strange how he plays it. And I don't think he can do this. Um, I, 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 it, it's I, really. I think, it, I think it goes against his character. So, so much. Yeah. Um, Every, know, every bond as, as it does in 
every Bond's first at bat has like these growing pains where you're trying to figure, they're trying to figure out the character. And sometimes it's really exciting to watch because you see things that you won't see later once they've kind of settled mm-hmm. into the role. But you know, this is a misfire, much like the Maud Adams thing was. And it took them a minute to figure out that that's not who this Bond is. Um, and yeah, yeah. And, and so it's sometimes it's, I, I, I agree, Phil, that 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 Maud Adams and this scene, yeah. you know, stacking up is kind of like, do not really lean into to, to Roger's strengths as. as yeah. As an and folks, folks more. always put her so high on the list of Bond, Bond women, Jane Seymour, because uh, ostensibly because she's so beautiful and whatnot. But I find the character very off putting because she, as Lisa was saying, she's kind of got no agency of her own and she's almost painted as childlike and it's makes it all worse you know she's not a mm. she's not independent in in hardly any regard and um so I, i've never been drawn to this character for that reason this dynamic just doesn't work for me it's not exciting or, or intriguing at all um i think i have a lot of symp- i have a lot of sympathy for her as a character sorry, I, I was sorry, about to say Sorry, uh, just about how she plays it. Like, I think she actually plays it well. Like, what's on the page, I think she she does it, She's and I feel fine, bad yeah. for her. I feel sympathy for her. Um, it, it, it is not well written, I don't think, but yeah. she commits to the sincerity of it, which makes it all the more awkward. I think. Yeah. And back yeah, up one second. Are I, we? I think it. Are we admitting she? Are, are we thinking she actually has magical powers? Someone just said that as like her with her powers, <clears> she could figure out. Like I, I think, yes, I said that, and I think it's true. I think and, it's, uh, and, I, and I think it's true, particularly at the very end of the movie when Baron Samadhi is on the train, even though he his physical body had been killed. Yeah, it's it, like, I, I, I think the movie stakes out the idea, yes, this is yes. a thing. Yeah, I, I think so too, yeah. And I, I think that Baron Samadhi at the end of the train was something they did late as a throw-in. And I, I agree, but, but in a way, though, it, 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 the, it cements the... Um, the universe, doesn't it? Yeah, and and also it's kind of like, well, Bond, you may think you're a badass, but like you're not necessarily bigger than right. <laughs> than the supernatural. And it's like, yes, I, you I have triumphed for too, now, but you're still, you know, the supernatural is still even, bigger even than you. Without, even without Baron's meeting appearing at the end, all of her predictions with the cards uh, uh, come to fruition. When he's flying when over from England. It. Yeah. So well, the yeah. Bond universe has the supernatural in it. We're saying that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I, I don't. Well, this, film, this film does. I, I don't. I'm not saying the Bond universe. If this film can, can does. We just, can we just say that if, if somebody's got an issue with a character having the ability of foresight, even if it's statistical and it's just luck, you can't complain about space lasers. <laughs> well, I'll complain no. about the space lasers. I, I will accept the space lasers. I can't accept that she, I mean, she does that What you know, all these tarot card readers do. It's just so vague. He travels over water. Well, who does it? How else do you get to an island? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, how do how do how do they know? He he, how do they know when he gets to JFK Airport? We're like within a reasonable time of prediction. No, I I, eh. I think there's a strong implication, right? What I what what is implied and what is inferred are two different things, right? We, so we had this debate on the, we, we had this debate on a podcast, didn't we, about like modernizing this? And I think yes. one of the things yeah. we discussed was is Kananga using the religion to manipulate the local population? Oh, uh, versus versus actually believing it. I, hmm. I think he's manipulating them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or both. And also, mm-hmm. look how she like nervously waved at him. Oh. But Kananga believes insanity. it. Kananga's yeah. so busted up that that uh, that she's had her power ruined by by Bond, you know, uh, taking her virginity. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. It's back in the day when people used to write letters to each other. It's nice. On stuff called paper. And there's a landline. A what? I do like Jane Seymour's outfit, though. Sure. I mean, there's something my dad loves seventy style, so just sort of giving him a nod. But I, I do like the style for women back then, and I'm mm-hmm. hoping it comes back around because I think it's. I like the silhouettes that are that are created and the colors, and I like it all. I think Bond needs to button his shirt. About no, man, button. I'm gonna walk into Target like that tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> I was just admiring his conviction with it. I was like, God, I wish I could walk around with that kind of, yeah. He's got more open than closed on those buttons. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's usually was it sometimes, always, never. And with Roger, it's no, 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 yes. Yeah, well, on, on, on many of the shops around here, um, because we're, we're close to the coast and you get all the uh, holiday makers coming and they, they think it's okay to go in into the supermarket in just swimming trunks and so you often see signs on shops saying you've got to wear a shirt you've got to wear shoes you've got to wear shorts at least and a mask uh, well mm. I, I wouldn't know i haven't been shot i haven't been to a shop yeah in months, update, update I, dress code yeah, I, I guess that's true too yeah so the, the disguise of the poppies is so good yet you can still see people underneath it when you're in a helicopter <laughs> <laughs> i never quite got that mm-hmm so I have a question about shirts. And so like as a woman who has breasts, when you wear button up shirts, sometimes like they have like a special like seal around the chest area that you can clip in so that it doesn't sort of like give you like a little peekaboo thing. And there's like these little um, sticker things that I have that you can just sort of seal it up. Do you guys have that issue when they wear button-down shirts, especially form-fitting ones? Like, like if Roger Moore, if he actually buttoned it up, because that's pretty form-fitting. Like, is there the issue that you get those like gaps between buttons? That's a bad fitting or- shirt. If that's the case, yeah, yeah. Okay. you're wearing the wrong size shirt. Yeah, either that or you've got moobs. You got bigger. You got bigger issue. But Lisa, they'll sell that fashion tape to anybody. In the seventies, it was a thing to like, like like button up like maybe three buttons from the yeah. bottom right. can we can I just mention unnecessary st- uh, unnecessary risk i don't know if like jane seymour's insurance policy was no. really cheap because she's in holding on in the back oh, of this yeah. bus through the whole thing yeah through the whole thing for no reason at all oh my gosh why also i remember reading in the 70s but it has not been brought up in the various making of featurette stuff. They actually had to saw that double decker so that when it hits the bridge mm-hmm. coming up in a few minutes, mm. like they still weren't really sure it would come apart. So yeah, they, they had put it on to rails, didn't they? Yeah. But, but like in the making of featurette, they don't mention that. But I remember reading that in at the time this film came out. That's they had to do that. But there she is. Yeah. That's and it's really hurt. She's, she's holding on when that thing was spinning around. Oh, and one of those guys who went into the uh, water, like, hit a coral reef and was oh, hurt, yeah. like, kind of badly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so this was a London bus driver, I think, that got to do the <laughs> stunt driving. But Roger got put through the skid pan testing, didn't he? Yeah. 
There she is still holding on. Yeah. Looks like she's enjoying it there. Yeah, she's just having a leisurely ride there. Yeah. Oh, not here. <clears throat> well, she so had to not... act for that insert shot, but uh, just, <laughs> just, just hanging on action. for the long oh, shot. No so it's like... Don't hurt the donkeys. Look at those donkeys <clears throat> not running. Right. Okay. So now they're going go down the road with the low bridge. Mm. And low bridge just in case you didn't get it no. <laughs> I think the, the, the top deck's on like roller skates or something isn't it so it would just yeah. kind of yeah roll off so yeah, question, it's, it's, does... it's funny every couple of years when you see in the news double decker hits bridge and there's always somebody that posts it isn't there like <laughs> bonded it first that's not that bridge doesn't actually lead or go to anywhere either it's just uh it is just an arbitrary bridge it just goes into the cliff yep it's a bridge to nowhere. Yeah. They didn't show us this bridge. Way, okay, but we can see her like in this shot, you know, coming up. That she's, uh, yeah, there she is. Like clearly right. her. Good for them. And also, I mean, here's how George Martin works in the theme song into his score, which mm -hmm. again, he was intimately involved with the production of that song. So, hmm. Coral knew where to be. Yeah. yeah. Gotta say, I prefer his shirt to Bonds. <laughs> I want to see that in the 007 store, but then I won't be able to afford it, so forget it. <laughs> Maybe we can get a Dr. Kananga's suit in the 007 store. I was thinking I quite like his tie, actually, in that shot we just saw. Lovely tie. It's Roger with his brown striped shirt. Hmm. But he apparently le left his uh, sport coat back at uh, Solitaire's place. The reversible <laughs> sport coat. Did that catch oh. on? No. Uh, <laughs> no. It, it's, it's in every man's wardrobe. <laughs> every secret Day agent's for night. wardrobe. <laughs> uh, I quite like this when you see that. I'm told it's dolphins, the fins out the back. It's quite mm. nice. I always thought it was sharks, but... It's just a nice, just bit of natural, just, oh yeah, it's just pretty short. Either, either that or they had to cut away from the actors for some reason. So here's, mm. uh, okay, so here Bond's being a little more calculating than we're kind of used to seeing from Roger Moore because he's like telling Quarrel, you know, he's going to go to New Orleans because something valuable down there. Hopefully, Dr. Kananga will want it. And so this is, you know, he's, mm -hmm. Bond thinks he's setting a trap, except he gets trapped, but. Hmm. Well, uh, all right, we're going to come to like, I, I, I'm really confused as to whether Solitaire is in on this whole thing or not. Uh, when they get to the airfield, she uh, goes to hit Bond with her bag and uh, is disappointed that she's not going to get to see him thrown out of the plane. I've never got that no. she is genuinely committed to this plan of uh, uh, capturing and killing him. She seems quite keen to get away. So I... I don't really. I don't know if that was in a previous draft of the script or what, but it's a, it's an odd character moment that's about to come up. So while they've been in San Monique, he's driven his cab from New York to New Orleans. <laughs> Hello, Jim. Oh, he's the first guy to call Bond Jim. <laughs> that's the other thing about this room. Hello, Jim. Nice. Um, yeah, that's like now that's a moment of some note. I'm not sure. <laughs> Right. Exactly what it means, but, but 
you're right, Kevin. I've never understood her motivations here in this whole. I feel piece. like she was creating she a distraction for him when she does that swing. Like she's giving him but a moment to. That's that's the best I can come up with. There's there. no the shot to indicate on her face that 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 she's like you know improvising on the spot or anything like that. That's the thing that I'm I'm missing. She's just acts so cool throughout this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I wish there'd been some indication that <clears> like, you know a look of like oh thank goodness he got away or something to. Okay. Indicate I, I, I reckon they just shot a load of scenes and then they uh, they just they didn't know what they were going to do with them and they just edited them into the middle of the film and uh, that's what we've got because for me oh yeah in, 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 none of it makes any sense at all and it's like yeah. a whole double decker bus thing it, 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 I, I can't believe it's even in a bond film <laughs> it doesn't it, it doesn't it doesn't oh. seem like it's a bond film Some, oh but uh, we've got a great moment coming up uh, ruth kemp as uh I'll forget her. Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Mrs. Bell. Mrs. Bell. Yes, Ruth Kempf. She is like the last billed actor of the main titles. I love that she got a main title credit for this. She's great. Oh, and of course, the significance of this, the first time there's a swear word in a Bond film. There you yeah. go. Courtesy of Mrs. Bell coming up <clears throat> shortly. Some wristwatch trivia for you. They they filmed New Orleans before anything else, and he does not have a Rolex on in any of these exterior New Orleans shots. He's wearing his own watch, a Tissot Sea Star, which has mm. only recently been discovered. And uh, mm. and once people started talking about it, they've become very hard to find on the aftermarket. Mm. Right, <laughs> they were two hundred dollars a year ago, and now they're not. Yeah, but he didn't try <laughs> and use it as a d- knuckle duster, though, did he? Though he didn't. I mean, I, I wouldn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bad, it's a bad call, um, but yeah, and it's just it's you can see it uh, when he's driving the boat, I think, and you saw it just now when he was like standing in that doorway. But it's uh, it's weirdly consistent. It's only New Orleans exteriors. He's wearing a completely different watch, and all the way to the end when he's getting on the train with uh, with Solitaire. Anytime they're right, outside I, of New Orleans, because I think they started at New Orleans, they then went to Jamaica, then they went up to New York. Yep, and like the, the New York stuff was like some of the last stuff filmed yeah. with the first unit. And then the last thing filmed was the Ross Kananga crocodile jump, which we'll get to in a while. But uh, I just wonder in the, in the pre-production planning, they're like, you know, that great car chase within Diamonds Are Forever that everybody loves so much. Um, <laughs> like, rather than have a, a chase in a oh. car park, why don't we have it? Oh, at a place where they park planes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The, the first uh, cuss word was, oh, shit. Yeah. That was, she just said it a little I bit ago. Mrs. But- Bell. It does have a lot of those same, it, like it's staged in a very similar way to that car chase in Las Vegas, where the camera's just sort of like on a very high position, looking down on a bunch of vehicles, just sort of slowly going around each yeah, other. It's, there's a laconic oh, energy to them. That okay. pre- yeah. I do love, I do love this though. It's like same time tomorrow, Mrs. Bell. <laughs> <laughs> and there it is. Oh, and, then, and then this is like one of David Hedison's best scenes, like cleaning up the mess. Yeah. Talking to uh, Mr. Bleeker, <laughs> the instructor. I love the, uh, oh, no, I'm sure you're a patriot line. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Like that is really meanwhile, nice. Meanwhile, Bond's like going to his tailor in New Orleans. Oh, I'll get some suits, some ties, some shirts. <laughs> I like how he dismissed that one Felix, tie. are you okay? Oh, That's a little I'm... frantic. He just dismissed that one next time. <laughs> uh... Uh, love it. No one's questioning your patriotism, sir. I'm sure you're That's a veteran. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Felix has got to pay the bill for room yeah. service on top of that. <laughs> that shirt color. Oh, and, and and so here's like one of Bond's allies about to meet his end in a very odd 
way and very in the sense they don't really make it that clear but i guess he's well it's I just guess, a call back to the beginning count. they figure you know you know yeah. you know the ins and outs of this one already <laughs> right when we that can add him to the, you, uh, that's it for you right yeah we yeah we can add him to the uh, sacrificial lamb list yep you, you don't see people smoking pipes anymore though at least not around here <laughs> When I was a kid, yeah, you used to see it quite a lot. But and then, like the little smile from the guy, gets oh, I get to kill somebody again. It's like this weird immersive <laughs> yeah, theater experience goes. in New Orleans. Yeah. Two yes. shows a day. Uh, <laughs> goes, go lean against that post. It's great. <laughs> yeah, you would think that the word would get out. Whatever you do, don't lean against that post. <laughs> And yeah, and then Felix says, "Hell of a send off." Yeah, Felix, your coworker just got killed. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Felix is sometimes a little slow on the uptake, or he's just you know. I didn't like him anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, of course, we didn't talk about this before. So, like in the early in the New York Philly of Soul scene, and in this scene, Bond is ordering bourbon neat because uh, mm-hmm. again they didn't want to get into the martini, uh, the martini thing because again trying to keep it d- differentiated from connery yeah well a bond in the books was a big bourbon man yes yes yeah. and in this book in particular didn't he have like two double bourbons at the beginning uh, my bond my bond goldfinger gold the goldfinger gold novel yeah. it's like yeah. he's he's had two uh, double bourbons and is nursing a third yeah, like, how like, are you standing well you know that's how i got that's how i got through the avido kill edit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in fact it, it, in gold the, the first chapter is uh reflections in a it, in a double, double bourbon. reflections in a double bourbon, yeah. Yeah. but then after the bourbons, he goes off and he drinks a couple of uh, dry martinis uh, and pints of champagne. Pink champagne, and I don't know how he got up the next day. I get, I get hungover just reading that. <laughs> I have alcohol that, those chapters. Like that's like take me to the hospital at that point. Well, and then the next morning, Bond's kind of like, eh, well, I guess I'm okay. That's yeah. like most most people be, be in the bathroom, like throwing up all morning. That's just. Oh, that's right. And then um, Bond ordered uh, the bourbon neat, but then uh, Felix ordered uh, a more New Orleans t- kind of drink. Anyway. What happened to friend? What happened to your friend? He got kidnapped. That's what. I do like the trap door that was there. And I do like the fun house in the man with the golden gun. There are four lights. <laughs> you, is this just a re, is this just a redress of the New York set? Do you think? I think probably. It, I think it probably is, yeah, looking oh, at it. F- the artwork is just turned on its side. Check out well, the floors, Kevin. Check out the floors. It's straight out. It's a straight out studio floor. Is it your studio floor? Oh, fantastic! I've never noticed this. Oh, is that actually artwork? Is that artwork at the back, or is it just bad plumbing? It's bad plumbing <laughs> turned on its side from from New York. So in the New York set, that's that's hung horizontally. Uh, in New Orleans, so it's it's it, that and the bad grouting is shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what you have when you don't have Ken Adam or Peter mm. Lamont doing the oh, set no, Pete, design? Peter's what, on Peter, this one. Peter's no, this is Sid Kane. 
Yeah, but this is the first one Peter did uh, a lot of research in the art world. Well, um, oh, yes. Sid Kane's credit is supervising art director, and then uh, Peter Lamont and a guy named Bob Lang are co-art directors. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We managed to stretch a whole book out of Peter Lamont's work on this one. Mm. Um, I recently learned that Rick Baker did uh, a lot of the makeup on this. And oh. is, am I not paying attention, or is he, in fact, uncredited on this film? Uh, don't, I've never seen a credit. For I've it. never oh, seen the credit. I don't know. Yeah, and so like this isn't that successful. But when when uh, when Jeffrey Holder gets shot in the head, I stared at that over and over for years. I'm like, how did that happen? And and I finally found a picture of Rick Baker building that head. Huh? Right, and, right. And it's amazing. Uh, you know, less less successful is Balloon Kananga later, but um, well, and also, I mean, <laughs> there's there's plenty of times later in the series where they've done prosthetic heads and then they've, they've not been realistic. Mm-hmm. Mm. But that so, Jeffrey Holder head later is all is of Daniel Craig's uh, films. <laughs> <laughs> but Rick Baker is the first makeup artist to ever win an Oscar when the category was uh, introduced in 1981, and he must have been 23 or something on this film. Jeez, Oof. wow. Mm. Um, mind you, I mean, Rick Rick had been working on things for forever at that point. I mean, he he's done Star Wars, right? The original New Hope and Well, no, I mean uh, 23 on this is my guess. Right. It's still I mean, it's still been he's still yeah. very young. Um Yeah, he's only got a couple of credits that predate this, I think, but uh yeah, Star Wars would be 4 years later and uh Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's uh it's it, when you get into get into kind of like practical prosthetics. I mean, there's a couple of people that kind of really jump out at you and Rick Baker and the uh, Robo team, uh, you know, the, the big names mm-hmm. for me. And uh, Dick Smith. And Dick Rick Smith. came up with John. Rick came up with John Landis. You know, he he did his first mm. film, Schlock, which I think was maybe 72 or something. But uh, I know Landis was tight with some of the so Eon for a minute. And, and maybe I don't know if that's how like, he got handed off to him or uh, I yeah. just find it interesting that like he, the, he he is considered the genius makeup artist of, of the form. And he it just does all this uncredited work on this movie. That's one of his first t- titles. I think it's, it's mm. wild. Do you think it's do you think it's partly because they're they're shooting this in the states, um, Bill? Or, you or know, you I'm not. I'm I'm not sure. I guess so. Where, where so where does uh, where does the climax happen? The San Juan climax. Do they go back to Jamaica for that, or is that on no, Pinewood? No, it would lot? be it would That's be Pinewood. Pinewood. Yeah, yeah, I think he was so over there for it. Right. This right. Scene would okay. be yeah, that makes sense. And also, obviously, Star Wars is all. You know, uh, there you go. So, yeah, there's somebody. Am I, am I right in thinking Rick Baker did American Werewolf? Yes. Uh, Rick Baker did um, Werewolf American Werewolf and, in London. And that was Rob, his Oscar Rob, film. And Rob Bottin, Rob Bottin did um, Howling, I think. Am Howling, I right in saying yeah. that? Mm-hmm. And The Thing. And The Thing. That yeah. was Bottin. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this – I don't know. It's that that head in 1973. This it, it's like super cutting edge in terms of uh, makeup effects for 73. It's really it's who really wild. The, who did the makeup effects for Alien? Does anyone? Oh, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> I love the fact that we're we're, we're talking about this over this uh, this rather so, tense. I'm tense sorry, thing. sorry. <laughs> no, put yourself in Kananga's uh, spot here. Why would you give Bond a 50-50 guess shot at getting out of this? Why not make it like what is the last digit of the serial number or something, not like Mm -hmm. does he speak the truth? 
No, he's still, he's not. I expected Mari Povich not... to pop up and say, and the lie detector said that was a lie. I don't, think <laughs> I don't think he's giving Bond that chance. I think he's giving Solitaire that chance. And yeah. He's, but why, he's, why make he's, it a 50 50 call? Well, I think he's bad at statistics. Because I think he, generally, he genuinely wants it, to, he wants it to be true. He's sort of skirting denial. Like he would like her to have not, um, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. It's like. You are the father. Yeah, I also think exactly. it's just. I mean, the, the, the tarot, the tarot cards won't go that specific. It'll, you know. I mean, it's you know that stereotypical thing. It's psychics. They can, you know, uh, tell you. Oh well, yes, your uncle uh, uh, grew those uh, aubergines out in the garden, and you really liked harvesting them with him, and all this kind of stuff. And then it's like, oh, his name's his first, uh, first John, name is John, George, yeah. uh, <laughs> Malcolm, Mark, something like that. It's, oh, Fred. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the it's called the Barnum effect and it's basically where you know there was a whole like I'm sure people are aware of this but they did a you know it was a, a US kind of study where they where they did a whole bunch of uh, they asked the students to fill out oh the forer effect sorry they're called Barnum questions and it's called the forer effect they asked a bunch of students to kind of uh, respond to these kind of questions that were put out um, and they all got asked the same questions, basically, that were, um, you know, relevant to all of them. And somehow they right. believed that um, um, to, they were very to, specific. To, talking about, you know, um, the, you know, the about the questions and why would he why would he ask them? I, basically, this whole scene's been taken from the novel and out yeah. of sequence, actually. And so, uh, I, right. I, I would say that. Uh, one reason that it doesn't quite make sense is because um, because of that purely because it's just they've just uh, they, it's a cut and paste job and right. it, yeah. it's, it's like the bus and the the, the 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 flying school and everything it's just a scene uh, in a film and it sure it, hmm. it's set piece film time. He um, Kananga also explained his uh, plot in the same scene and. It's like he's going to give away all this free heroin and Bond asks, well, that make a certain number of dramatic boss families mm-hmm. <laughs> rather upset. And then he, then he comes back with this great line. Yeah. About, well, that's, oh, that's why this, is, it'll that's drive why this is a Harry movie, not a Cubby movie. Right? right. This will make them absolutely drive him crazy. And then and subsequently out of the business, leaving me and the phone company as the only growing monopolies in this country for years mm-hmm. to come. And it's a great line. It's preposterous, of course, but it's – Great line. Now be like, and me and Amazon as the only people shipping things. (laughs) (laughs) Start off with three books. Um, Yeah, it's it's interesting that, um, that, you know, they they slightly tweak the the Fleming plot because obviously with Fleming, it's again, it's communism trying to infiltrate um, the United States uh, by, by making, you know, by creating a drug. Um, problem, which is obviously something that they, they did to themselves later on. Um, can, you, can you just add that sound design really sells that hit mm. on Solitaire? When you're watching it with the sound off, it doesn't have the same impact. Yeah, you really feel it with the sound. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, interesting how how that, um, that plot works out there. Um, uh, we haven't really spoken about Yafet Koto and his um, his you know reaction to being in this film and that great sign. Um, 
and well, this, and, this was another just quickly this was a real place uh, yeah. and that's why the name can you know and um but it's in the, jamaica the, not yeah. uh, new orleans although right. or not louisiana although in the yeah. story it's in new orleans in uh, louisiana because the guy's yeah. name is ross Kananga. right yeah yeah. Um. Yeah. So going back to your point, but uh, Ben, um, Yafikoto was a big get, I think, for this film. Oh, sure. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, um, you know and uh, a very. I mean, in terms very... of like professional acting chops, he's up there. With... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and a, a very UA politically motivated man, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can understand what a lot of his. Can he run for political office? I don't. I don't. I know that he. I know that he was very outspoken um, mm. and and did a lot of um, uh, kind of kind of work in that area. You know, uh, I I don't know whether he actually ran for office. I'm sure somebody will tweet us and let us know. But um, but it is interesting that you know he he, he is a, a he he is a great catch as you as you say. But uh, I understand what why his reaction to this was what it was. I, I, I imagine if they'd have landed Helen Mirren at a quarter of a million dollars by Solitaire, they wouldn't have got Yafet Koto. No. Mm. Yeah. The budget yep. would have gone the other way. Yafet Koto had been in a UA movie called Vogue. Across 110th Street, um, which was apparently his entree into this film. I went to a crocodile farm in um, Thailand, uh, which was basically like this but you have like these walkways over the water um and you get given a, a bucket of chicken much as uh, bond is uh, you know shown and you throw and you literally throw chicken into the water it's just brown swamp water and you don't see anything and then a 25 foot crocodile erupts out of the water um <laughs> And I was wow. talking to I was talking to my dad, and uh, you know, saying, "Oh, it'd be really good to go to go back there." And he said, "Yeah, they've had to change it a bit because somebody committed suicide by jumping in." Oh. Um, and, I guess yeah, he tastes like chicken. Did he taste like yeah. chicken? Oh my God. Like, it, it was uh, it was actually a, a young woman <laughs> who did it. Um, but uh, yeah, um, some of them some of them were over twenty feet in length. It was quite horrific. Well, a lot of people don't know. They're also really fast. They can they can outrun so, um, so fast. <laughs> uh, yeah. is, 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 like, is that the story you never told me about why you've only got one leg? Then, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the crazy thing about it, David, is you are literally uh, I don't know six or seven feet above the water on these on these walkways. Yeah, um, I don't think I can, can do that. And they can jump. Uh, a lot and so the little ones um they also have in the breeding pen um and and they and they make a noise like uh science fiction laser blasts mm-hmm. is the only way that yeah. i can describe it they actually go boo, 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 boo. that's the noise <laughs> of a baby that's the noise of a baby crocodile um oh. look it up online yeah, my my my, si- my sister used to live in in darwin for about 10 years and uh it's just she used to send some of the press cuttings uh sometimes and it was just like yeah tourist gets eaten by crocodile well i was a tourist yeah. and i ate crocodile once uh, oh it's really tasty <laughs> isn't it it's yeah. sort of like it's fishy like, chicken i i thought <laughs> it was like fishy pork because it's kind of fatty too but ah, it's yeah. it's great Deep, deep fried. Yeah, no, it's I lovely. wouldn't know, but I, I had some vegan um, crocodile 
the other day. Which was <laughs> that Linda McCartney King crocodile? <laughs> well, uh, was, also, Roger, Mo- Roger Moore is wearing honestly, crocodile skin, alligator skin shoes in the sequence. Such yeah, a nice detail. Just, they should have taken his feet off for that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I like this. Uh, I like this fake out as well. You know, you think he's gonna. This is quite a clever little fake out here. You know, is this the first time in the series that a gadget hasn't actually worked on the first go? I can't think of one before this. Uh, well, it works. It just doesn't. Well, <laughs> yeah, but not normally. You know, the the gadget work. You know, it bonds has to think of another way to get out of this situation. Yeah, uh, which I like. I, like, I think it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is a very smart smart way of doing it. it plays with the audience's expectations about how he's going to get out of this scene, and it mm. and it create and it really amps the tension up. And also, it's like he doesn't rely on his gadget; he relies on his ingenuity, which is just uh, mm. another great thing. And cartoon I, I, logic. I, I would have thrown the chicken a little bit further away if it was me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like into the water. <laughs> Maybe he was drawing them in. Yeah, Maybe to create the lineup. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's convenient placement. Because yeah. they're, they're just angry because they're just angry because they've got ingrowing hairs. <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're angry because they're being tied into into place. But that is a that is honestly, I think, one of the greatest stunts of uh, of the of the Bond franchise. Right oh, there. it's amazing! The, done by Ross Kananga himself yeah. on the fifth try. Like, you can God. see the outtakes on the uh, making of on the. Yeah, I think that's what the I was just going to say, Calvin. Yeah, right. yeah. And gets, the, the last call on. <laughs> well. And, and and Mankiewicz kind of sets it up by talking about, okay, after one or two tries, okay, the alligators all know he's coming again. Yeah. <laughs> They're all ready for him. Can I just point but, out, I'm so glad we can't smell this film because it must be like 100 degrees there and they've got like cans of raw chicken. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, and, and, and God. cans of raw chicken and, and, and fuel, uh, just like your whole nose. <laughs> just, um, and I oh, do it's, like it's a little- It smells like most people's barbecues then. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the whole kind of like way that they they really don't understand how heroin is processed, and right. um, but also just that uh, that little moment where Bond glances at the speedboat earlier. Yeah, you know, it's that's just nice foreshadowing of like, oh yeah, that's how I'm going to get out later on. Right. I need to. Sh- I'd like to talk about one of Kananga's henchmen. Um, I think his name's Brian or Tom or Adam. The one who like, Sheriff Pepper's going to harass in a yeah, moment. Yeah. yeah, I'm, yeah. Just, I'm just, I'm being cynical here. I mean, Adam, oh. I mean, we're a great name for a henchman, but he <laughs> oh, is actually, right. oh, sorry. <laughs> he, he is, he is one of the mo- most useful actual henchmen in the series. I mean, he's yeah. pretty solid in this. And, um, yeah, I don't see him on any any kind of coverage, any kind of lists. I mean, he's kind of like been ignored in the franchise. Oh, mm. he's, a, he's, a, he's an effective henchman. In this yeah. scene, he does exactly what he needs to do, and he very nearly gets Bond. And yeah, you know, so in in, in that regard, and and he's has a degree of menace as well, you know, um, which is I think is important for a henchman. You've got to believe that they are at least. Uh, capable of, of causing Bond harm. Yeah, but you've got Kananga and Mr. Big with the whole duopoly thing, and then you've got Teehee and, you know, with his claw and Whisper with his voice thing and his strength, and then it's like, this is the everyman henchman. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think that's Didn't... why he gets lost, because he hasn't mm-hmm. 
got that kind of yeah. iconic look. Apparently, yeah, this just, chase took up this chase took up twelve pages of script because for yeah. a long time Mankiewicz did not write it out. Just like you Chris, picked oh, the Chase, whole Paris, the whole ass. And here's I thought that was Ben. I thought that was Ben doing that. I was like, wow, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, who was that? So, so, so just to explain things for our uh, listeners outside the U.S., J.W. Pepper is a county, or in, as they call him in Louisiana, parish sheriff. Yeah. And he runs into, um, he ends up commandeering a state police car. A police but it, car. But it's kind of hard to tell because their shirts are so similarly colored. Like J.W.'s shirt is like slightly yeah. different than the state ah. police. But in, in The Man with the Golden Gun, he identifies himself as I'm Sheriff J.W. Pepper of the Louisiana State Police. No, no, right. you are not. Well, maybe he got promoted. Mm-hmm. Well, I did not no, know you that. Don't get, you, but you don't have the title of sheriff. You have your colonel or whatever. No. Ten fingers on the Maybe he was just bullshitting because he was overseas and he thought they'd be impressed. And also, he wasn't that fat, so he's wearing padding in his shirt. Good for him. Uh, so, so the thing I think we should we should just point out, Bill, is that like I, I, I think for a wider audience, the the various kind of um, di- different police kind of uh, hierarchies and structures in the United States are very very different to how they are in most countries, right? Yeah, because yeah. you've got you've got parishes and state, uh, federal. You've got um, highway patrol. Uh, you've got all yeah. of these various different kind of like. You know, and police. as I discovered this week, the USPS has police. Yeah, yeah, that's right, right. So, hmm. so there are all these different different. Like, I, I think the reason they do that in Golden Gun is just to kind of not confuse the issue too much. Um, it's a retcon. It's like Felix hmm. being in DEA and licensed to kill. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the, win, mean, the, win, the, win, the winner out of all the sequence is that dog. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't he get gonna, shot. He, he doesn't get shot. You can shoot it, but her. But it's foaming at the mouth. I mean, I. I is there a cure? For, uh, <laughs> rabies generally, there's not a cure. You gotta okay. euthanize it. I, I just gotta I, euthanize it with a bullet instead of <laughs> like a shot. So okay, that's so not, here these guys are the state police, and their their shirt color is a little darker blue than. Yeah. His is more teal. His is more teal green, right. and theirs is more so, light sky blue. So he <laughs> commandeers their vehicle. That means you, smartass. Well, it's their vehicle. Yeah. And and so, but then, but then later, like he's in the car, and JW is talking to his men on their police radio. And at some point, it says, "JW, can get your boys off our yeah. frequencies." That's that's what that. Ah, Phil, yeah. Phil, is he sure. wearing a Rolex in this scene? I can't, no, that's I a Tissot, saw... my friend. That's yeah. the Tissot Sea Star, as we previously mentioned. Mm. Wait for it. Wait yeah, for I it. Was, if you, <laughs> I was cut the... out of the the podcast at that point, but uh, oh. I, I I did I just did hear a little tiny bit of you mentioning yeah. the Tissot, and yeah, I was all... like, yeah, that, that 
I did notice that he's <laughs> all the New Orleans exteriors. I have to point yeah. out again, though, this is four years before Smokey and the Bandit. So, yeah. like, yeah. is is was there some sort of cinematic or pop culture type for this redneck sheriff that uh, seem like it seems to be cut from the same cloth that what Jackie Gleason's doing in Smokey and the Bandit, yeah, no, right? No, right. No, I also think hundred percent. Uh, Dukes of Hazard as well. It's again just, that's yeah. ten years later than this. Yeah. So so where is this coming from? Is J.W. Pepper a more of a cinematic trailblazer than we maybe are giving him credit for? Is he the first? Well, one? well, well believe it or not, UA actually had a had a campaign to get uh, uh, Clifton James an Academy yeah. Award nomination. Yeah, what? right to do it. Yeah. Yes, yes. They <laughs> I mean, I, I love his performance right. in this. I think it's yeah. hilarious. Well, but right. so if anybody's listening. If they can find any print ad letter or anything where it's like for your consideration, for your consideration. James, ah. I want to see that. Good lord! <laughs> when I wrote um, this, um, when I wrote Clifton James's obit, that's when I discovered he lived down the road from me. Uh, <gasps> damn! Oh, Isn't that always the way? Mm. I think it's. Oh, sorry. Go uh, on, sorry, go I was going to say, as a kid, I had uh, I bought. Um, obviously, eBay didn't exist at that time, but. Um, I bought well, uh, off. Yeah, no, it's, it's a crazy <laughs> idea. Um, but I, there, I bought there's the same a, sheriff uh, Louisiana, from Las Vegas, by the way. Yeah, I, I bought a Louisiana State Police badge. Uh, yeah. Um, of of a of a antique arms and military <laughs> um, thing. So I actually had one of those uh, state police badges. I'm in charge here. Come on. Can we can we talk about him utilizing the word boy? I know that there's yeah. a lot of conversation oh. about the whole like Bond girl and the use of the term girl as a term that infantilizes women. But he is somebody who sort of represented how the word boy can also be utilized in sometimes racialized terms, but mm-hmm. also in terms of putting it down is- grown professional Men. I would I would not say racialized. I'd say blatantly racist. Okay. <laughs> that's the point. That's the point yeah. because Mankiewicz was being very careful with the black characters. He didn't want anybody to be the subject of ridicule. So J.W. Pepper is like mm-hmm. he's doing he's doing all the heavy lifting from a ridicule standpoint. And he's but and here's the thing. It's like he's like this kind of, you know, humorous thing, but like I'm not sure I particularly would want to get arrested and end up in JW's jail. Mm. I I think I, some nasty stuff was going on in that jail. Yeah. But I, I I have to say, uh, Bill, I, I I kind of side with Lisa on this. I think it I think it does have racial connotations. Um, oh, I, 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 I'm not saying racial connotation. I'm saying it's out and out racist. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. Mm. Right, right. Yeah, no. Especially I think right here, it's like, okay, is, is, yeah. oh, there's my my brother-in-law and then all these guys are going, Ooh. And then they're like, that's, that's your, your brother-in-law? brother-in-law? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so while there's yeah, humor, I, there's like some nasty stuff just below the line there. Oh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's right there. Uh, and and let, let's face it, you know, it hasn't changed much even to this kind of day. You know, if you, um, you know, In this, fact. Uh, yeah. Um, Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> but, 
But, um, but I would say no. as a figure, J.W. Pepper, I think he's very polarizing. I know that there are some fans of the Bond franchise who love him and, and love his representation. And then I also know people who loathe him and like wish that he wasn't in this film and especially not recast in Man with the Golden Gun. So I think mm-hmm. he's an interesting figure in, in the world of Bond because he does elicit like just a range of responses versus someone like Felix Leiter. People are like, cool, he's Bond's, al- like, he's Bond's ally. We yeah. don't really feel too much about him. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of split because I, I hate him as a character and I, I wish he wasn't in the Bond films at all. But uh, I, I saw The Man with the Golden Gun before I saw Live and Let Die. And uh, when, uh, when I saw him in The Golden Gun, I, I, I kind of liked him because, you know, he, he was some, he, he uh, brought some of the more humorous um moments in in the film and as a, a as a 10 year old or whatever I was at the time you know that that was that was perfect for me but um yeah i i i, I in I, yeah, some way, I, you know, in some ways, I, I in, you know, I, I can, I can look at him through my eyes as a ten-year-old, and I can look at mm-hmm. him as I am now, which is not ten. even, even as, um, even as a ten-year-old. My, so my, my dad uh, moved to Thailand. Like my, my parents divorced. My dad moved to Thailand, and uh, he remarried. So my stepmom was Thai, um, and. Yeah, so uh, I I saw this film with the uh, with you know, not this film, sorry, uh, Man with the Golden Gun, with him talking about horny heads, and right. yeah, that that to me Im- immediately was like, hang on, that's yeah, that's sure. not great. Sure. Um, so I guess even as a kid, I just I didn't I didn't like it, and. If you look this, closely, all the drivers are wearing crash helmets. Yes, <laughs> and and, with, and also you look carefully; they're all the same model car. They're all, they're all um, Chevrolet whatevers. See, on Pepper, so, like, if if you, like, I, I think he's hilarious in this film and Man with the Golden Gun, and it is just that, I know it's a stock character, a kind of buffoonish uh, authority figure, but that is that that is my sense of humor. Like, if you want to what? make me laugh, give me a sort of outlandish, buffoonish authority figure. Uh, there are certainly sinister overtones to how he is represented, and I think... I, I think it it is sort of trying to make fun of those sensibilities in a, in a sort of ignorant way. Um, so 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 it is a, a yeah. It it's a conflicted uh, representation. Certainly, this kind of uh, I, I, dealing I, I, with these I, I very think, serious. I, I think maybe the problem with him actually is that uh, he's kind of not evil enough. If if. If you could see that he was out and out right. evil, then yeah. uh, you, there was nothing good about him, and there was nothing that attracted you to the character. Then it would be he would be far better because you could say, yeah, he's just a, an out and out racist shit, but uh, but some people love him. So Clifton Jones yeah. plays it so well. This is the and, danger, isn't it? You know, like when you like David's right. You know, you make you make a racist lovable. Uh, that's that's well, a very well, dangerous line real- to kind of. Sidebar, the soundtrack here for this whole sequence is awesome. Yes. Well, again, it's working in the main song into the, into the sound, into the, this is a great, this is a great villain demise as well. Oh, Mm. 
Yeah. But what's great about it is Roger was on the, the side of the banks when they blew it up, and there's those great yeah. stills of him yeah. sipping a cocktail as the thing blows up. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, so real quick about uh, Clifton James, though, he was a great character actor. Fantastic. Yeah. He can both do comedy, he could do serious stuff, and he could be like a really evil guy. So there was this short-lived TV show in the U.S. called City of Angels. It was set in the 30s. He was a corrupt police officer he was nasty he was like really nasty and in the 80s there was this period piece called it was about the black Sox scandal in 1919 world series he played charlie comiskey the owner of the white Sox, and he was just a real bastard in that so he's he's a great character actor he could he could do it all oh just here we go i love him here <laughs> Yes. Uh, he's God so good. damn. You doomsday, doomsday machine boy. It's when he starts fiddling around with the handcuffs. He can't quite operate them. <laughs> and he says, we have a, this is what I was talking about. Yeah. We have a jail. We have a, a cage. cage strong enough to hold someone like you. And that's mm. the whole thing what I was talking about. He reminds cage. me of uh, Vincent Defender oh, in in um in men in black you know he's almost got mm. that like there's a bug inside him and he's kind of like anyway. mm. um i meant to i meant to say earlier well i did try to say earlier before i got kind of chopped out of the recording um and this is sort of to james's point there's a lovely shot of, of roger um sitting with the exploding kind of uh shit but also one of my favorite skills is uh on the on the samonique bus when he's uh, when he's sitting on top of it in his director's chair, um, smoking a cigar, uh, that's also one of my favorite shots of uh, for, for, for all time of Roger. So there's two cutscene stories. One of them is false, and one of them is true. And there's in the poster, there's an anti-aircraft gun, right? Mm. And that was from some publicity stills of oh, yes. Roger in Louisiana visiting a location between filming and having some pictures taken with this big AA gun. And then for whatever reason, it made it onto the poster, right? Mm. So, But that was never a scene in the film, and it was never shot. But no. there were scenes shot in Louisiana of Bond strangling some of the of Kananga's men pretty brutally, and there's stills oh. of it. And that was taken out. So, and that's the one that gets the least coverage, but they're, they're yeah. Thank, thankfully, uh, yeah. at least a smart move there. Um, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? That we've kind of, we've, we've kind of got both Quarrel, Quarrel Jr. and Sharky essentially yeah. being the, the, the same sort of character. Um, well, in Dr. No and, and Live and Let Die, uh, they were the same character anyway in in the yeah. in the novels. So and 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 Sharky is clearly based on Quarrel too. Yeah, yeah. It's just I just think it's interesting that they um, they kind of went with that. Like, so you don't get Q Junior, but you get you know like it's kind of when when they acknowledge that there's been a passing of time, but some some characters don't get a passing of time. Um, and some, you know, so. Oh, I mean, when when we watched Doctor No, uh, I remember we, we we talked about Quarrel's death, and uh, it was quite mm-hmm. explicit that uh, they couldn't bring Quarrel back uh, directly, could they? Not, not, 
<laughs> not as he was. Well, <laughs> I actually, with the, vo- with the voodoo, maybe <laughs> they could have, but uh... that would be that would be a great scene, wouldn't it? Oh, Coral, you made it. Maybe it's true. Fine. <laughs> yeah, I was just uh, had a skin graft and I'm fine now. Um, and I don't believe in dragons a, anymore. Yeah, just a just a flesh wound. I'm fine. Um, <laughs> Got to feel sorry for Jane Seymour in the sequence. She was terrified of snakes. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and the guy handling the snake got bit and like ran yep. away, and the snake mm-hmm. was like coming up toward her, like, oh, and she's tied right. up. She can't move. I love the it fact was, that I think it's the, one of the most gruesome deaths is being thrown yeah. in that coffin of snakes. Yeah. Well, and there was a member of the royal family on set at the time, if I remember right, from the making of uh, Featurette. And uh, Jeffrey Holder did not want to go in that coffin. But, Don't blame him. But, here, but here's a member of the royal family watching. So, like, <laughs> oh my God, I think no. the way the story goes, he went in and he got out as soon as he could. <laughs> Yeah, man, you know, look, I love snakes, but I don't want to lie on top of a coffin full of them. Um, I don't think anyone really wants that. Um, I love the fact also that this this, this snake is, um, you know, it's a real snake and it's, uh, you know, but it just it just looks about as rubber as, as you can It really make does. A, yeah. They could have gone with a snake. Color. That, yeah, it's like it does not look real. Uh, yet it is. Uh, but they could have picked any one of those snakes out of that that coffin full of snakes that was real. Is it real in all the shots, or yeah. just some? yeah? yeah. It's no a, way! It's, it's yeah. a real snake. Yeah. <laughs> I thought no. it was like fake in some, real in others. It's it it looks so so rubbery. Uh, yeah, but no, it's no, that's uh, that's a real. That's you should real do a snake. video about it, Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would be interesting? Bond. What would be interesting is, as, as um, Bill keeps bringing up, is all of the different things they try to do. You know, make him smoke a cigar, give him a forty-four Magnum, mm-hmm. make him shave in the bath. You know, all of the things that he did that was very different to kind of make him make him seem well, very different. Connery, sure. Connery read a magazine in the bath, so that wasn't too much of a stretch. <laughs> Isn't it always weird when you see the behind-the-scenes stuff and they always talk about, like, oh, well, we had to make sure that Roger didn't come across as, you know, like Sean Connery, and then you hear Lewis Gilbert talking about Spy Who Loved Me. Oh, well, they were making Roger too similar to Sean, so he had right. to take a, you know, different... Uh, I, th- uh, I, I think they kind of amped that up with Golden Gun. In other words, I think they were trying to diverge from Connery here... But then in the next movie, particularly when, you know, Roger Moore is slapping uh, Ron mm. Adams around and mm. throwing the kid into the clong and stuff like that, they were kind of reverting to Connery stuff. Because, again, this is primarily a Saltzman thing and Golden Gun was primarily a Broccoli thing. So those two weren't necessarily communi- communicating a lot. So I don't know. Mm. Maybe that explains it. it. Interesting that just quickly in the book, um, Mr. Big – uh, uh, you know, is is essentially telling his followers, or, uh, or or kind of like giving the impression that he is a uh, a zombie, um, mm-hmm. and that's why they follow him. And you know, they do call him Baron Samedi. So it's like they they separated those two characters out for the right. um, yeah for the film. Um, but so then if, they, if, if the supernatural doesn't exist in the universe, how does uh, his eyes move and then he shatters. 
It's uh, animatronics, James. <laughs> it's seventy-three. It's like a doll's eyes, like doll's eyes roll over. Like a, if you... like a doll's eyes roll over black. There's this voodoo shop that you can go to and you can buy heads like that. Uh, yeah. uh, lifelike eyes. Jaws Rob two Tom isn't that bad, is it? <laughs> There's no, there's no Quint in it, so it's no good in my, mm. in my, ah, uh, the Indianapolis, ah, uh, <laughs> Hiroshima bomb. Sorry, that was, <laughs> I love that. This is uh, a disappointing, uh, fight between Bond and one of the better, uh, villains right. in the entire series. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. And it's done. <laughs> Into the snakes. <laughs> Get in the box. Oh, one punch, the, two punches. The there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Bless the actor for doing that, though. I mean, my God. Like, yeah. Nobody wants to snakes. get bit on the dick. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's the wrong kind of trousers. Yeah, exactly. I love the fact that, like, throughout the 60s, you know, they got, like, henchmen in, um, like, jumpsuits and piping and stuff. And in this, yeah, they just, they're just got, working at Target. Yeah, yeah they, just, <laughs> they just work at Target. They've also they ask me shirt size got, when you get hired. They yeah. said... They said, "Have we got Quarrels red shirt?" And they went, yeah, mm. yeah. "Do they have so name just, tags?" Hello, my they're name. Just, is. They're just dressed like Quarrel, and off they go. <laughs> I've seen Harry Saltzman on the set of this film in his uh, red jumpsuit. I, I, I think that he just didn't think that any that there was anything wrong with this kind of clothing. Yeah, like, what well, everyone yeah. wears that. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah, he actually yeah. dressed like a Bond villain. He was, you know, or like, or like, or like a, a member was, of the. Con- Connery thought so as well. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jamaica again. This is Green Grotto Caves, right? Yeah. I do uh, like the fact, Phil, that they managed to kind of, um, you know, that the, the kind of set dressing in this kind of does lead to kind of a, like a Ken Adam-esque vibe, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was going to mention it. As soon as they went down for, in the, from the gravestone, uh, then it's then it gives a, a Ken Adam vibe completely. Yeah, there's some diagonal stuff in the man-made yeah. structures. Well, well and of yeah. course, Boba, all those new shapes. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, also, of course, Sid Kane and Peter Lamont had also mm. worked under Ken Adam, so they had experience with that kind so of thing. So right. to do Ken Adam, you just need some natural elements. Um, and, new some shapes, con- but- and some concrete at, at 20 <laughs> yeah, degree yeah, angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Angle, angle concrete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a bit of, bit of glass. <laughs> bit of glass, bit of, bit of steel, maybe some copper. Lean into the maybe, natural Maybe that's a great idea for a HGTV show where you just go and like remodel somebody's house in the style of the Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flip yeah, this lair. Cal- Calvin, Calvin, you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here we're um, <laughs> we're about to get explained the whole shark repellent gun. Yeah. Yeah. So in in Mankiewicz's commentary track, he talks about this because the whole point of Kananga shooting the couch is yeah. to show you what the gun can do, yeah, and what these pellets can do, so that then later when Kananga meets his demise, it's very convincing. Very, yeah, very well, I didn't say it was convincing, but Check it, it's off inflatable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Real brief though. 
Usually this is like they'd show you this and then an hour later or something, you'd have the payoff. This is all yeah, in one minutes. moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Four and a half minutes later. Yeah. On um, the way over to the island, Bond should have encountered a shark, which he shot and then exploded yeah. in uh, Jaws the Revenge fashion. Also, I, we get to see the, 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 the oh, monorail. Uh, also, we get monorail. to see a, a, a gadget. I think this is the first time very that we short see, monorail, but we, we see a gadget that um, that hasn't been explained earlier. Monorail yes. goes to yeah. the you corner. know, it's like it's just suddenly the watch. Oh, it's like the monorail in Seattle. <laughs> Where did I read the sort of bonkers interview with uh, Yafit Koto about how he interpreted Bond as being this sort of, or sorry, he interpreted Kananga as being this Bond fanboy, and he wants to impress him in this last scene. Yeah, because he acts very different in this scene than he does the entire rest of the movie. He's all cheerful. Yeah. And, He's sort of yeah. like giddy. There's a giddiness to what he's doing. It's almost yeah. like pressed in License to Kill, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really interesting point, Phil, because right up until this point, he's been fairly... Um, I don't want to say... Yeah, Stoic. grumpy. Yeah, yeah, he's not... Everything has been like, oh, this is going wrong, and that's going wrong. Oh, we're going to mm-hmm. have to get Bond for this. And the moment that he actually confronts him, he's kind of like gleeful about it. And Yeah, look how happy he is. Mm. Yeah. I love I love the unnecessarily slow dipping mechanism that was uh, then yeah. brought you know, back in a view to a kill so you can get into the hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. I love I love the callback to commentaries, James. It's great. <laughs> to uh, to fully appreciate that, you'll have to watch our other commentary. <laughs> we. I don't think Jane Jane Seymour looks any better in the movie than right now. This is like top. Top Seymour. Top Seymour. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm uh, disappointed that Yafet Koto is not wearing uh, like a a Mandarin collared um, (laughs) outfit. Did did I see that T he has like three stars on his um, red red jumper? Is that like what he's two stars and a K in the middle? Oh, okay. Uh, so, I, I've only just noticed that this watch along as well. <laughs> I noticed it. Uh, so is, a few that, is, ago. There, is there like embroidered ranking on uh, mm. on their on their on their crappy polo shop shirts? Hmm. The Kananga hierarchy. Yeah, it's in the expanded universe literature. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the novelization. It's interesting how how often sharks are used as like a murder weapon by uh, Bond villains. It's. Uh, you know they're not they're not the easiest um, of weapons to maintain. You would think like a you know a, a gun would work better than like having to maintain these kind of. That's because you don't know enough villains. I I, I, I know <laughs> a few, and they, they they all have sharks in their swimming pools. They do. Oh. Yeah, I I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah I, I, I thought I'd heard a rumor, David, but I, I, you know, uh, once you see it, you'll never unsee it. The wooden arm here. Yeah. Oh, what? Huh. How dare you do that to us? <laughs> I, I don't think the sharks quite work in this sequence because we never actually see them. It's not like Thunderball where we actually have you know shots of actual human beings in water with sharks. Here, I think it is. Entirely just sort of insert. Yeah, and, and not enough glass uh, sheeting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, quite. 
but uh. just just thinking about uh, the way that he he cuts uh, Bond's arm, I, I'm just wondering mm-hmm. if that was influenced by uh, the at the end of Casino Royale when Le Chiffre uh, carves mm. uh, carves a, a Russian. Uh, character, right. no, no, no. Le Chiffre doesn't. Oh, he, right. It's a KGB. Mercer agent does. He he comes yeah. into the back of Bond's uh, uh, hand. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering yeah. if that, if that, if it's referencing that or something. And Maybe. here's the cheapest special effect in the series. Oh up. my god! Wow. Oh, man, oh, has no, no internal organs. Very she's, dry. She's, <clears throat> yeah, she's looking. She's looking away. Like, oh god, that was just terrible. Terrible. Oh, oh, I, I can see. Yeah, you know, How much did that cost us? Oh, we we kept under five dollars, Harry. Oh, that's good. <laughs> We're running out of money. Uh-huh. I'm surprised they uh, they haven't released uh, Kananga balloons. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's because they're waiting to announce the the delay of uh, of um, what? No time oh, to die. You know, uh, the Guardian. Uh, the Guardian said it's called something else. Apparently, it's changed its name. Ne- was it I, Never Say Die or something? Uh, they said today. I just, I just think the idea of a Macy's Kananga balloon would be <laughs> would be awesome. Just like a giant Kananga going down Fifth Avenue, uh, especially. Be... And, but to make it work, it's got the the um, the mouth, you know, face is going to yeah. be like way outside. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. But th- yeah. Th- this is an odd scene here. Uh, Bond's kind of slouched at the table, and she's sitting upright. It's. Uh... They should do a supercut of all of the Bond fights in. Um, <laughs> trains you know just like uh-huh. kind of like mix them mix them all together i'd like to see that like it would look like he was fighting like three different henchmen at once that would be did you see I, great I, I think they ought to do a super cut of all the roger moore's oof um they have <laughs> bill that went up they, today I'll, oh, I'll, link it, I'll, I'll link yeah. it to you bill it was it's uh, amazing it was quite good yeah, it's really good and now we have the Patton guy hamilton second ending where the main villain has been vanquished, but the henchman is still lurking about. So we, all, all these endings, uh, that influenced Mendes on Skyfall and Spectre then. <laughs> so he's not kidding <laughs> who's influential. It was homage. <laughs> oh, here's, here's another dressing gun. Yeah. That's his third robe. Yeah, I yeah. know. Why aren't they in the 007 store? I have an obsession with James Bond robes, so I think that's sure. probably yeah. one of my favorite parts of this movie is just all the different robes. Rank the robes, Lisa. <laughs> I mean, I kind of dig in this plaid one here at the end, so I think that's probably my favorite of the of the the ones that he wears. Mm. Again, again, nobody really understanding how electricity works. That right. would that would no. just electrocute him. <laughs> what I was going to say is, 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 does each cabin have its own fuse box on this train? Yeah. It's a special train. <laughs> and is Teehee's hook magnetic that he can unlock Apparently. the door? Yeah. Uh, and what? And, and that's a single bed that Solitaire's in, so that'd be a bit uncomfortable for the two of them. Uh, it depends. Yeah. Well, <laughs> have you ever been on? I think you have. You, you you have said you've been on a on a an overnight train, yeah, Calvin. I have, yeah, but it was going through Turkey into Georgia, so I don't know how indicative that is. uh, Actually, no, it wasn't just about this dingy. Uh, This is actually quite an unglamorous uh, carriage. 
uh, room that Bond's in. Yeah, this is what I used, I used to do. I used to do the Caledonian overnight. It was great. Ah. No, I, I reckon all, all trains are just like this. It's just yeah. Little... Is there an awareness of the from Russia with love train fight scene while they're making this? Is it becoming a uh, thing at this point, or is that not till the third time? Maybe. <laughs> it takes three really times until, until the sixth until the sixth train fight we hadn't really thought about the original one well like um, the, i mean you know they're not watching it on home video it's 1973 like is is this is the first one on their mind at all when they're doing this it's one? Ten, 10 year anniversary of the other one mm. <laughs> i would i would think that that people kind of would have talked about how um you know how they re- reacted to that first train fight so I, I suppose this was a way of kind of you know bringing that back um, call back mm-hmm. well they yeah. start very differently don't they because i mean obviously in russia it's it, it's a trap uh, bonds on his knees and he, yeah. and he turns the tables this t he just comes blaring in and yeah. swinging right i'm just He's always hiding in a hiding in a closet i'm just curious when the series starts to like refer back to itself and how that sort of evolves how it becomes a you know in its worst stage is the series of callbacks, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. You know, like is the elevator well, fight in diamonds are forever, a riff on the train fight in from Russia with love. When does, you know, when do they start becoming so self-aware? That's a, that's a really, that's a very, very good, good question, Phil. And but I wait until the I end of this commentary. Tra- I'd, I'd say this <laughs> film, because obviously they have to reference quarrel, right? So that's Quarrel yeah. junior. Mm. Sure. Okay. Mm. And, and, yeah, I, I think, you know, right the way through to Spectre, you've got, you know, callbacks to From Russia with Love, you know, the second film in the series. It's uh, it, it, it's quite um, it's quite a thing to kind of call back that far. And um, there are three lights. Three lights, yeah. <laughs> and the supernatural. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He uh, he thought that was a very funny uh, line. <laughs> and she's also wearing a blue gown, which reminds me a bit of Tatiana. Yeah. Romanova, uh, and, and, and George's, George's blue jacket as well. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. The, well, the, I know that the... the oh, go on, David. No, just thinking about uh, callbacks to, to previous films. Uh, it, it's just uh, the you know the Aston Martin DB5. It's just like how many times do we have to go back to that? It's just you, we know Bond drives Aston in the films. Uh, you don't need to mm-hmm. ram well, it down a, our, our throats point. every time. Yeah. Well, it, well, apart so, from so, seven films in a row where he didn't. No, no, no. So I know, uh, I know. Uh, sure, but um, that, that, at at uh, at some point. Uh, they, with Goldeneye, you know, they they decided right now it's just going to come back, even though it's a car that's completely out of date, it's completely impractical, mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to do some great stuff would- in, in in Materia in in in, in No Time to Die. Oh, and by the way, it wasn't it's- a real Aston Martin. It's- Right, it's, it's, it's just as so, ridiculous if they said they were going to bring the Esprit back, you know, sure. yeah, for Bond's so personal does, car. That's the next guess. When does a when does a callback <laughs> become become a staple of the series? That's that's a that's a that's a big question because like it's one thing to kind of like reference things that we've seen before and have subtle nods for the fans to go, oh yeah, you know, they're they're obviously referencing this, but to keep putting something in to the point where it becomes. Um, almost expected 
it, you know, the, the cheer that the Aston Martin DB5 got in, in Skyfall sure. kind of really is, you, you know, it, it, that, that's not a callback. That's an audience expectation. Right. And, you know, I, I, th- I think there is a, there's, a, there's a point where it flips over, you know. Yeah. Would, would, did the audience give a cheer when they had the Dave Batista fight on the, on the train? Right. Did they go, oh, yeah, no, we finally got a train fight again. Well, I, you know, I, I don't because well, I, no, I, I, I think the Aston, I think the DB five worked. The DB five worked in Casino Royale, but uh, you know, to to bring it back in Skyfall and and not make any kind of logical sense with that Aston, and it, it, it yeah. was it was the Goldfinger Aston is it, right. just ludicrous, and it was supposed to be Bond's personal car, which uh, it wasn't in in Goldfinger, so yeah. it made no sense at all. Or, or even or even his personal car in in Casino Royale. So you know, it'd be one thing to kind of go, "This was the car that you had in Jamaica," but like to have gone, yeah. So it's all just bollocks, really, isn't it? And especially <laughs> if they'd have, especially if they'd have made like King Cage John Connery, then that would have even been more kind of bizarre because they no, would the have fact, had, like, the, that's the crossing thing. line for me. The, the fact that it was under consideration, yeah. Yes, tells you everything you need to know about what may or may not happen in the future with the yeah, current. That was yeah. that was like taking an Aston Martin DB5 and launching it across the Palmyra uh, shark swimming pool with <laughs> <laughs> um, a slide whistle. <laughs> yeah, jumping, <laughs> jumping the sharks in, in, <laughs> as, in as real way as you can. I heard that was happening in, in No Time to Die or whatever it's been retitled. Uh, so I'll yeah, be disappointed if that doesn't make it to the screen now. The, yeah, the new title from the Guardian is "Never ni- Never Say Nice Things." <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, um, we, hot, we should be all right, cold, then. all right. Hot and cold takes on "Live and Let Die." Everybody, you want uh, to go in order. David, you're up first. Okay. Uh, I, uh, I I I'm kind of mixed about oh, okay. it because I Stay I. By I, the I bell. I, I like I like I like some of it. I I, I kind of like the, the voodoo stuff. I, I like that it, it introduces this uh, supernatural uh, aspect to, into the Bond universe. And but uh, it uh, the, I, I think yeah the. It's such a disconnected film. It's just got these kind of random scenes in in the middle. It, you know, it's second act, I suppose it is, and it, it, all these random scenes that don't really make any sense to me, at least, and uh, uh, make it just fall apart. And you know, uh, I don't know. It's it's not one of my favourites, even though I it, it it's it's got some quite uh, iconic Bond stuff going on as well, and uh, it, uh, I, 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 I don't, I, I don't, I don't really know how to articulate that properly. I think um, my hot take is this is actually a more important film for what was happening in real life um, with the series than the actual movie itself, because you know after Diamonds, people were actively wondering it's like okay can uh, can the series survive connery's departure because it seemed like after majesties that was a dicey proposition 
And this movie globally in the global box office was the highest up to date. It, it surpassed Thunderball. And um, mm-hmm. it did not perform as well as Diamonds in the U.S., but globally, it, it uh, internationally, it did. And then also, it's it's basically Harry Saltzman's um, um, swan song. Swan song, yeah. Um, he didn't intend it, obviously, when they were making it, but it it that's how it turned out to be. Right. And I think, in terms of what David mentioned, I think kind of reflects the Saltzman sensibilities. Saltzman was a more volatile guy. He arguably had more ideas. A lot of his ideas weren't great, but when he hit a brilliant one, they were fantastic. Yeah, including and, 600 pairs of elephant shoes, right? Right. <laughs> um, and so I think this movie reflects that. Um, you know, it is it is an uneven film, and, and the fact you don't even see Bond until after the titles is kind of weird. Um, you know, you're introducing a new Bond, and you, you make the audience wait 10 minutes or so. Um yeah. That That's, didn't happen to the other fellow. Right. <laughs> oh, did I hey. do it right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Close enough. That's all I got. Phil? Uh, I'm a fan of this one. I, I, I'm a fan of all of the uh, first go-rounds for the actors. There's a, a certain specific energy that it mm. being their first thing can't be replicated ever again. And some of them hang on to the energy a little longer and some of them lose it right away. But the there's an excitement to a, a guy's first Bond movie that uh, I think is well and truly present here. I, I'm, I say that not even as a giant fan of Moore. I, I appreciate Moore, but I really love his how much he's going for it here in terms of uh, just he's just so present. And I, I like when you're kind of uh, on, on a – maybe not quite solid ground sometimes because again, it's an opportunity for interesting and unusual things to happen in the franchise. Like Octopussy is like when Moore is just owning the role, everything's very comfortable and cozy and you can curl up and watch it and, and, uh, and feel comfort with those later efforts. But the early ones are always just more kind of uh, intriguing to me because of, you see little decisions, little micro decisions being made or even avoided. And, and you see, um, I don't know. There's there's just these weird satellites of possibility within these first go rounds that that I like imagining and thinking about. Yeah, I'm I'm also a fan of this one, uh, and I'm a huge fan of Roger Moore. Uh, and I guess I'm a fan of this one in spite of the fact that I don't know if he gives a very good performance in this one. I think there are a lot of scenes where he doesn't quite play it right, or he's being directed and written in a way that he can't quite bring what is uh, expected or required or or, or whatever. Uh, I think it's interesting that they don't give him like the big George Lazenby build-up, like, you know, see him in shadows and, and all this kind of thing for a couple of minutes before we have the big reveal. They do just kind of like, well, we're just carrying on with it. And this, this week, is... Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's admirable in some ways to not draw too much attention to it Uh, and I also very much agree with what David said about uh, and I think this is consistent amongst this we're in the middle of this Guy Hamilton trilogy here of uh, obviously he did Goldfinger but this run that he had of Diamonds Living Like Diamond Man with the Golden Gun and Tom Mankiewicz as well so maybe it's maybe it's him but there are just scenes characters do things that are just so inexplicable and you do ask well wait why are they doing that and I think that is a a through line throughout these three things. And I don't know if that was, you know, Hamilton just didn't know how to fill in the gaps in the script and he was just filming whatever pages he was given on the set that I'll figure out later in the editing room, whatever. 
Um, so there are a lot of very inexplicable things going on, but I think there were great performances across the board in this. Um, there's lots of funniness. I love um, Mrs. Bell, Sheriff Pepper, and uh, the comedy hijinks that they bring. I know that for a lot of people that isn't Bond, like him getting into a plane and not taking off with a sort of older lady in the cockpit. I know that that's... Some people's like you know idea of hell in a Bond film. I really like all that kind of silliness. So this is this one always ranks quite highly for me. I'm I'm a big fan of this one. Hmm. Uh, not I don't want to repeat what others have said. So I will say some of the pros for me. I really like the costuming in this film, from the robes to the turtlenecks. I dig it. I really like the title track. I think that it's catchy. I think that, you know, as Calvin said, it really doesn't draw a lot of attention to itself, the film itself, but the song actually does. Like the song sort of gets you going. And I think it's become a very memorable part of, of this film. In terms of some of the cons, um, obviously we've talked about some of the representation um, from the representation of black characters to the representation of women, to the lack of consent, to the depiction of voodoo. Um, there's just a lot of um, speed bumps watching this film that sort of stopped me from fully embracing it and fully enjoying it. I think that they definitely did strong work to adapt uh, the novel itself. I can't read the novel and read some of the dialogue because I don't want to hear these phrases and these words in my head, you know, when you read and you can hear your own voice, I've always found that experience actually quite disturbing. Um, mm. But um, this is a film that, you know, a lot of people are excited that we're doing a commentary for, uh, but it's also a film that we have to be critical of because of its representation. And so again, there's things that we can enjoy and really take away from it, including the humor. I'm with you, Calvin, hundred percent. I like all that funny stuff, but it's also at the same time, something that we have to, you know, discuss and, and treat seriously and ask the question, mm. does this define, you know, the tenure of more does, you know, his treatment of solitaire define his relationship with women? Um, you know, does his relationship with racial minorities, you know, does it carry on forward as he goes to different places and spaces? Is this a defining factor of the more era? And is it, you know, reflective of the time period? And of course, moving forward in later Bond films, how and why does it change? So those are just sort of some of my thoughts. Yeah, uh, I think everybody's um, said stuff that I kind of kind of resonates with me as well. Um, it's not much to to really add to it, other than I, I suppose that yeah, I don't I don't like the depiction of black characters. Uh, I don't like the way that Bond's relationship with Solitaire was handled. Um, so those are things I don't particularly like, and I, you know, and Sheriff Pepper, despite being comic relief, I don't, I don't like the idea of kind of making a, a character like that, um, kind of affable and lovable, um, even though he is the sort of the brunt of the humor. Um, I, I also think it kind of marks a, a real sort of change in, you know, we had with Diamonds Forever, we, we also get a very different kind of Bond film. Um, but this is kind of definitely kind of uh, laying the groundwork for uh, the direction of the series. And, you know, it's interesting you get a call back to from, from Russia with Love with it. Uh, when you consider that, you know, to put those two kind of films side by side, one is a almost Hitchcockian 
um, you know, uh, uh, you know, thriller, and the and, and this one is uh, to, to to echo what other people have said, sort of very disjointed in terms of narrative and um, kind of goes all over the place. Well, I mean, two uh, two point about Hitchcockian, Ben. I mean, some of Hitchcock's biggest, most loved films, like North by Northwest, were just a sequence of set pieces strung together with a story. Well, tr- true, but I just sort of feel that this. This doesn't really. This this feels a lot more disjointed than something like that. Whereas whereas I feel like from Russia with Love feels like a, you know, a, a proper spy film, um, and very different tonally to to what we what we have here. Um, this 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 feels a lot more kind of irreverent to the subject its own subject matter. Um, I think it is a lot of fun. Um, I think it is very throwaway and light. And I think Roger is, um, as Calvin said, maybe, you know, scripting um, and direction wasn't really playing to all of his strengths, but you can see, uh, you can see where, why he was a great choice for the role. Um, and there, there are things that he does within it that, um, that are, that are fantastic. And there are, as, um, as Phil said, some great, uh, on staples that um, that are in there that will continue through the series, and some classic moments. Um, but on the whole, uh, I don't think those outweigh the negatives for me. Uh, it's as I've mentioned in the past, it's not something that I've been particularly looking forward to doing the commentary for. Um, however, I think I enjoyed it a lot more in this run through than I thought I would. It's because we spent half the film talking about Alien, I think. Um, so for me Roger's era I've come to really look at it as two Bond eras there's this and the man with the golden gun as a kind of a duo and then there's everything spy love me onwards as a second kind of run totally Um, agree because if you look at it as like if you consider Harry was doing live and let die and Cubby was looking at the man with the golden gun they both kind of had a different way of trying to fit Roger Moore into who James Bond is and I think Harry did a better job with Live and Let Die than Cubby did with The Man with the Golden Gun. And then you have like the three-year break, the change in ownership, the dissolvement of the partnership, and the change and all that kind of stuff. And then Cubby gets a second go at fitting Roger into the Bond role with the Spy Love Me. And he gets it right the second time. It's curious because uh, I, I actually wanted to refer to back to something Lisa was saying very early in the commentary about um, you know, this was influenced by black exploitation movies, and Man with the Golden Gun influenced by uh, kung fu movies, and, and Moonraker influenced by by Star Wars and and the science fiction boom that 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 was uh, created by that. And I, I was actually thinking about this a few days ago, and just thinking about these three films. Three out of the four were were influenced by. Um, other genres, and but mm. I, I was trying to think. Uh, the Spy Who Loved Me, w- right? Was, was was that influenced by anything else? I can't think of anything that was. No. That it, Jaws. No, it, it was influenced Jaws. by. Yeah. Uh, it was influenced uh, by Waterbond. Yeah. Oh. I think it was. I think it was influenced by. Uh, you only live twice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, it's totally, it's totally Jaws. It, it is the water bond. The like, there's a character called Jaws. There are sharks. It's yeah, stuff so in water. So what does that make them? Cargo's underwater. <laughs> um, but um, I'll say something controversial. This is my favorite Guy Hamilton movie. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Hmm. Out of the I don't think that's controversial. <laughs> um, 
Well, not anymore. I say that five years ago, you've been lined up. You know, <laughs> your, your, your Bond fan card would have been taken from you. Um, mm-hmm. But I would like to visit the world of Bond and Live and Let Die for a vacation. I think it'd be great. Right? Just the mm-hmm. world that he lives in is slightly, it's, they always say mm-hmm. Bond's like five minutes into the future, but this is like multiverse Bond, I mm. think. This is like the world is slightly different to the one we know here. Mm. Um, you, you say that now, but just wait till you get uh, chucked into a coffin full of snakes. <laughs> yeah, well, considering the world we live in right now, I'll take my chances in Samonique, <laughs> well, I, I think. I would, <laughs> right? I, would, I would say this is true, James, that like, although the, that some people will sort of say Bond is five minutes into the future or whatever, I, I always feel like it is its own its own slightly parallel universe that it is it, it, that it's like Ken Adam kind of structures it. Um, John Barry. Ooh, yeah. Uh, Ken Adam works in city planning, yeah, you know, actually, actually, I, I, I agree with you there actually, Ben. And I, but I, I want to take it uh, a step further, which is that um, Fleming's bond was also in a parallel universe because yes. his version of, of the it, it was never called MI6 in the books. It was always the British uh, Secret Service, and uh, it was very clearly based on his experience working in naval intelligence. And so it was it it, it was uh, very very different. It, it was already parallel. Mm. Yeah, but you've also got giant squid and all that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, stuff yeah. Left in, you know. I, yeah, yeah. And people say Moonwreck is the most out there kind of film, but I think this is the most kind of like Fleming fantastic um, mm. leaning film in the series mm. um, out of all of them. I think the fact that it does connect very strongly to the, to the source material as well you know there is it is fantastical but it is also kind of deeply rooted in 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 planning itself and 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 despite everybody's kind of uh inverted commas dark and gritty kind of fleming um i think he was always slightly absurdist i think he was always tongue-in-cheek and i think it i think you know if if you want to say something positive about this film is it is that it does kind of reflect that fleming world very well yeah, in good ways and bad, because it also I, I think that where whereas the other cultures, the cultures that Bond visits in the films before this are kind of uh backdrop, this one's very uh in a very Fleming way kind of fetishizing this world that he's entering into. It the way he's looking at it, it's a little different. The other thing I wanted to throw in there was I have a kind of a mixed opinion on Solitaire and Jane Seymour. Um because I don't know how much of it was Jane Seymour acting to be a naive young woman in the, as a character and how much of it was, this is her first feature film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she was, she was and, about 20 or something when she filmed this. Yeah. yeah. And I read an interview with her recently where she said her and Jeffrey Holder went onto the beach and danced around and came up with that. Dan- and that's how she formed a character. I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> um, but in this whole kind of like way decades down the, down the road, I can't help tie my feelings about characters to how, the actors and actresses talk about it afterwards. Mm. That's kind of like blurred together a bit now. And Honor Blackman and Diana Rigg are two examples of actresses who wanted nothing to do with the franchise after they'd done their film, mm. distanced in their careers. Later in life, when work dried up, wasn't yeah. it great? I was in a James Bond movie. And Jane Seymour is still in that. I, I don't want to talk about that. 
she's one of those actresses that just was nothing to do with the fact that this was a thing that brought her worldwide attention. Maybe she'll come around in future years to come and talk more caringly. But she's had really nothing nice to say about her experience with Bond on this. I, and, yeah, I, yeah, I, I get this. There's like sour grapes and it's beneath her and all the rest of it. Uh, that's great. But um, so that takes the edge off it because otherwise I quite like her in this film. I'm surprised that Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman would get sniffy about her, this kind of role. That's quite surprising. What was that Owen Wilson film she was in where she played that horny mother? Wedding Crashes. Okay, but this is beneath her, right? (laughs) (laughs) Show show me an interview where she's been openly talked about her experiences on the Bond movie. Like, there aren't any. Hmm. I, and, I can and, only with a and past actresses like Rig and like Blackman and went through that same cycle of pretend it doesn't exist because I'm above it and then later in life come around and say Oh well, autogra- this autographs are money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I, yep. I don't know. Yeah, I mean I get I get what you're saying, but I also try to divorce myself from, you know, what what we see on the screen and what maybe their intention is. And I think we touched on this when we were talking about um, you know the the, um, the trigger mortis, and I was talking to you know um, the author Horowitz. about like Horowitz about his intention with it, and I think that at the end of the day, you take what you get from from something, and it's better to kind of like not to really think about what they the actors were, were planning to do with it, or you know what the script right. really meant. It's. I, I think it's a bit of deeply. It's more of a personal journey, and um, I try to. I try to ignore. Apart from Marion Darbo, obviously, I try to ignore. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just shot myself in the foot with my own argument. Yes, yeah, she did. Yes, yeah, she did. Because you don't like her now because she was mean to you. <laughs> <laughs> The only uh, Bond movie actress I've ever met was Madeline Smith, as she goes to a lot of Cue the Music concerts, and she was absolutely lovely. Like I, I, I couldn't believe I was getting nervous uh, waiting to meet her, but she was so lovely. God, such a lovely lady. Um, so we had we yeah. had some questions on Twitter. Do you want to go through them? Okay. Ooh, yeah, um, let's have them. James Bond Complex asks, the deck of tarot cards stacked slightly in Bond's favour, just the right tone for Roger or a bit too much in this day and age? Uh, think- too much in that day and age? God. Right. I, uh, uh, oof, yeah, no. Uh, I, I, I'm sure there are... Sorry, this is probably going back to something that Phil said on a previous episode about, you know, are Bond fans really sort of like high-fiving each other over yes. this sort of stuff? And yep. maybe yeah, they... Uh, I don't know. I've never watched this with anyone who has been like, yeah, go Bond. It's always been a bit of like a, hmm, that's not very nice. Uh, it's a little rapey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well he, hey, does try, he does try to apologize after the fact. Well, uh, it's a half-hearted yeah. apology. I'm, 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 I'm sorry, but apologizing point. for raping somebody isn't yeah. an apology. Well, the modern equivalent as well, you did swipe right. Mm. <laughs> well, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I think we're, playing, we're, we're, we're dancing around this and trying to give him too much credit and, you know, saying nice things well, about, you know, but well, it, just to it's, be it's just not to be consensual cl- sex. So just to be clear, you know. I was saying I was like point. That's that's the best I could counter it with. Sure, I'm, mm. I'm, it's a pretty half-hearted countering <laughs> at that. Yeah, but. I I don't think there's anything redeemable about it whatsoever. I think it's 
Um, it's not borderline rape, it's actual rape. And I think, you know, we, we, we see a couple of instances of Bond doing this in the, in the series. And So is um, it a Goldfinger callback? <laughs> is it a, or, or a Thunderball callback? Or, a, you know, I don't... I, I don't like it at all. I think it's mm. out of. I think it's not particularly Rogers Bond. I think it's kind of out of character for Bond generally. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, know, like I, 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 it's like I, I said during during the uh, well during the watch along that it, it's that's the kind of thing that Bond villains do. It's not the kind of thing that Bond does. Yeah, mm. I agree. No, I, I I find it distasteful. I don't think it's a funny moment. Um, yeah, it's um, and, to, the, and to what ends, really? You know, back mm-hmm. in the back in the day, there were these things called Viewmasters. Uh, it was this thing sold to children to like see a movie or see a TV show, reduced to like you would insert it in the viewer. There were like three yeah. of these things. So they did one for Live and Let Die, and I have this vague recollection of they were kind of handling the stack tech thing a little awkwardly right in the viewmaster text well i've been digging through the 1980s audiobooks for kids and i can tell you the things they cut out are very creative like the spy i love me intro it's he's at a ski lodge with two other gentlemen on the couch versus, <laughs> that, right? that tells a completely different story doesn't it right right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, 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 uh, it's very funny when you you play that intro for Spy Love Me. I, I found that uh, most amusing. Well, excuse me, your watch is starting to do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the futurist asks: Has anyone on the panel ever worn a shoulder holster in a fashionable manner? Uh, no, no. Uh, right. And has has Bill has Bill ever had soul food? That's a very personal question, Bill. You can you can you can um, decline to answer if you want. Does the does the futurist does the futurist yeah. mean has yeah, anybody have, worn? Oh, is he saying is anyone on the panel ever worn a show, yes. shoulder holster? Yeah. Oh, okay. I I I personally haven't, but I think um, I, I I think Connery looks good in a shoulder holster. Um, <laughs> I, I I have worn a shoulder holster, uh, but it wasn't a wasn't uh, as a fashion item. It was to carry a gun. Yeah. But that's, it, the, that's that job you can't talk about while we're uh, right there. No, it, it's because it, it, uh, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure what the situation with, with shooting in, in the UK is now. But uh, it, it used to be relatively easy to go to a, um, a gun range and shoot. Yeah. And, um, yeah. A- until the Dunblane shootings in. Yes, right. I guess that was early early nineties, something like that. And I, I used to I used to go uh, shooting. Uh, once a week, and so uh, I did sometimes wear a shoulder holster. Hmm. I I thought that it was um, Hungerford then look, that that made like a lot of the changes, and then Dunblade. But I mean, yeah, I remember I, that. I, I can't, um, I, it may have been. I, it's it's kind of a, a long time ago. Uh, I was in my twenties yeah. then, I guess. Hmm. Uh, Bill, I don't know if you want to de- uh, decline to answer if you've had soul food, but I think we've determined that two people in this panel have eaten crocodile, so I think we're yeah. good. No. Uh, is that soul food? No. It's on the menu. What is soul food? It's on the live and let die menu. 
I don't know oh, what soul food is. Along with 50 cents hamburgers. It's black American regional cooking, um, yeah, like, Calvin, like, and there's certain staples in it, like collard greens and pig feet and uh, black eyed peas and uh, uh, ribs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I, then I'll say some, not yeah. often. I've had collard um, greens. The very Why good is restaurant. Why directed at Bill? I don't know, but I that, was, that was Cecilia. I, I live in Seattle. We had one of the best French Creole restaurants outside of uh, Louisiana. It was great, my favorite place. Um, Stingray asks, "Did Live and Let Die make you want to visit New Orleans, uh, or have a traditional uh, jazz funeral?" Uh, I'd rather not have a funeral. Not, <laughs> not right now, anyway. I had to have this conversation with my dad and stepmom recently. Uh, They've put it in their wills that they don't have a funeral because they don't want people to think I'm a cheapskate when they don't have a funeral. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to show them the piece of paper? Uh, Well, that's what their logic. We had a discussion about this the last time I visited, like Christmas time. Anyway. Um, I can't can't speak for um, for Phil, but my my reasons for going to... um, New Orleans was not to necessarily recreate the uh, lamppost pose. It just was a happy, happy. It was a happy coincidence that it happened to be, you know, the same city. Um, yeah, I was at a film I, festival. I think I was more inclined to visit New Orleans because of the uh, Anne Rice books than I was um, the Bond uh, Living That Die, but. Um, it is a it is an amazing city, and I recommend anyone going. Yeah, I, I went for a couple of days two years after Katrina, and it was um, mm. it was a weird it was a very weird place at that um, time. The only time I went was actually the year of Katrina, but it was several months before, and it was for work. And when you go for work, you just it's you're doing work things. Yeah. And you can't. I, Airport it, hotel. It, Airport. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ken asks any thoughts on Roger Moore's diary during filming and I'll say I I wish we had one for every film (laughs) yes yes yes. but we'll never see it again will we no no I wrote about it a couple of years ago. I found a used copy. Uh, I wrote about it on Birth Movies Death. It was the most popular post I've ever done on that site, I think. Uh, yeah, super, I, I've, I've read it, yeah. yeah. It went super viral, and then a couple of podcasts picked it up, and I think the uh, AV Club picked it up. Other sites picked it up from there. And the next thing I knew, the used copies were on Amazon for $4,000. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, and you, that eventually calmed down. You missed out there, didn't you? I might have, um, but you know, I'll take indirect credit for it coming back into print last year or so. Um, uh, it's a very fun read, and I recommend it to anybody who hasn't read it. It's it's he it's I don't think there's a ghostwriter. There's a level of candor there that I've never yeah. seen. Well, uh, well, Phil, you in fact cited one passage. I'm gotta say this very carefully. There was a crew member who had a nickname of a racial epithet. Yes. And Harry Saltzman is like yelling for the guy. Yeah. <laughs> By this in New Orleans. <laughs> in New Orleans. And Roger Moore is saying, What is going on? And uh Yeah, and he's um, like, We agreed to come up with a new nickname. We called him Chalky. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's kind of like the dog in Dambusters when they do the remake. Yes. Um, but, but 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 there's like a lot of little things. Like at one point, Roger Moore kind of rewrote a line and Tom Mankowitz got annoyed with him. And 
and he made a joke about it in the diary about that. I mean, it wasn't a big incident, but it was just like, it was like a lot of little things like that, which like what you were saying is probably not ghostwritten because it has that kind of very anecdotal feel. It's like, I mean, not he talks really- about yelling at his wife and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really kind of un, unfiltered. Uh, and I don't, I don't, I assume the reprint didn't, didn't reverse any of that, but it's a, uh, it's a weirdly like he has a tantrum because they didn't hire his hairdresser. It's really yeah candid and uh, a lot of fun to read. Yeah, something um, about the the name Chalky though, because Jim Davidson, who uh, <laughs> who was a well known uh, comic in the UK, I, I think he's still alive. I think it's, comics a bit of a stretch. Yeah, well, but, uh, okay, whatever, and and still completely right. Game show uh, host. Ba- ba- <laughs> uh, okay. And I, I've no idea what he's up to these days, but he, his whole well, routine, he's, he's just generally being ra- he's just generally yeah, still being racist. His, his whole shit. routine was racist, and he had a black character called called Chalky. And I, I don't know I, I don't know if there is some kind of uh, um, racist um, attachment to that name or, or, or not. Yeah, I think there is beyond Jim beyond Jim Davison. I, I have no idea. Yeah, he's trying to be cute. About it, mm. yeah. I never thought we'd talk about Jim Davidson on this podcast. Yeah. Really <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm sorry to lower the tone. That's <laughs> all right. It's you know what's funny though, David. It's every time I see somebody in a suit jacket roll up the suit sleeves, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's the Jim Davidson look. Um, uh, I mean, he, he used to be prime time in the UK, and it's, it's unbelievable, yeah, with John Virgo, yeah, telling, he people, to, the lim- oh, sorry, t- telling people to sink the pink. Uh, Saturday afternoon. He won Celebrity Big Brother a few years ago, quite a few years ago now, but that was sort of like a bit of a jaw-dropping moment. But that, I think that was the same year he was in there with Katie Hopkins, so that tells oh, you God. something about the state yeah. of yeah that series. <sighs> um, more 007, please, asks, why do, th- why do you think so many people consider this the best Bond film of all time? What? <laughs> they do. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh well. <laughs> I think it's well regarded, isn't it? But I don't know if it's considered. Uh, I think Lisa made a point earlier on about sometimes I think the song is more ingrained in the popular culture than the movie is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and as a result of that, there is residual goodwill. I think Diamonds Are Forever has a similar mm. uh, thing. So I think it's in the public consciousness. I don't know if it's, you know, back when, amongst aficionados, I don't know if it's considered one of the best. Back when uh, David Letterman had a late night show, Paul McCartney was a, de- was a guest and Paul McCartney comes out and the band is playing Live and Let Die. It's just... Yeah, I mean it's 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 kind of ingrained. It's just out there. The song is anyway. Yeah, I I don't you, you know like you know David, you got Man of the Golden Gun, Calvin, you got Moonraker. Me and Ben are like a view to a kill and stuff. Um, mm. Everybody has their kind of like weird one that they like really well. I don't actually know anybody who has Live and Let Die as that personal mm. favorite. Personal favorite, you know. Maybe I don't know enough yeah. people. Well, James, um, you know, we're on a, you know, part of, part of what uh, MI6 HQ is, is a very big, you know, forum full of people um, and uh, bomb fans. And I, I can't think of any interaction that I've had on that forum of 
you know, thousands of Bond fans that has made me that made me think that anyone has Living That Dies their favorite. I could be wrong. I could just be misremembering. Uh, um, and, and I was but, about to say, I know, all, I know, you know, American Bond fans, a number of whom don't care for Roger Moore at all or any of his films. So I've never heard any of them talk about uh, Live and Let Die as a great film. Didn't Sam Mendes say it was his favorite? I don't mean great. I mean like... I, or even favorite. Just it's even, their even personal, personal favorite. <laughs> like, like, their, like their... Even even in, in the sense of their kind of like guilty pleasure. I don't yeah, that's what I mean. So, uh, no. Calvin, I, I, actually, yes, you're right. Both Sam Mendes and I think Daniel Craig said it was their favorite. Huh. I mean, one of my one of my Bond oh. friends. I've mentioned this before. He I'm not friends to, with Sam Mendes, though. So he, re- he refuses <laughs> to get any Roger Moore Bond films for home video. Like, nope, I don't consider him Bond films. So, you know, hmm. so that's 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 the kind of audience that I'm used to dealing with. I I, I did that until I bought the box set. Really. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't own any of the Roger Moore films uh, on VHS. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Even the man with the golden gun. Even, yeah. I, 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 wow. Yeah, I, I came back to that. I, I came back to that after after uh, plowing through the, the box set. Yeah. Even huh. when even when they were paired with Pink Panther cartoons and VHS. Uh, they did. They did That's right. They, they didn't. They, did they do that in, in the States? Uh, Warner Brothers was it Warner, Warner Brothers, wasn't it? Though? Well, I, I'd have to look. I think I've got one in uh, my vast shelf of archives. Uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a Reaches shelf. Reaches your arm. Reaches your archives. <laughs> in fact, it's live and let die. <laughs> it's the one with the. I've got a VHS copy with a Pink Panther cartoon. At the front. Mm-hmm. All right, that's All right. it for uh, Twitter questions. So, what do we want to think about for next time? We're down to five, so not that. Yeah. Well, I, this is the last vote we'll have because um, right. after this, it'll just oh. be the four films, and then the three films, then the two films, and then mm-hmm. and then it'll be Spectre. So. <laughs> 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 uh, okay. All right, Ben, seeing that you didn't get a vote last time, you can go first. Uh, what have we got left? Just remind me, sorry. Goldfinger, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, The Man Back with the Golden Gun, Spectre. Sorry, Bill, I think I'm going to go with Thunderball. Oh. Right, I'm working from the bottom of my screen up. So, Lisa? Maybe she can say it on the WhatsApp group. You Only Live Twice. Uh, this is your movie, Calvin, so Phil. Twixie. Oh goodness. <laughs> I'll say I'll say Spectre, but I really hope it's Thunderball. Bill and David, you gotta fight it out for the fourth place vote. Okay, Bill, uh, what are we gonna do as a joint one then? See if you pick Goldfinger, you're gonna split the Connery vote three right. ways. Well, since this, uh, this might this might be your chance, David. <laughs> how about Golden Gun? It's David David likes it. We can, and if we do Golden Gun, that will finish up Roger, correct? Mm-hmm. It'll be, and it'll be uh, all right. Okay, uh, I'm happy with that. Okay, you might, I think, have a good chance with a three-way, two-way split on Connery and Spectrum. There. All right. 
Well, thank you very much, everybody, for putting up with the technical difficulties this week. If you've listened to this and there's been awkward silences at points, that's because we like had to take a break for half an hour and come back. So. <laughs> People, we hate each other. Just literally, literally just vanish for last yeah. swathes of the recording. Um, yeah, including Lisa, who's got technical difficulties right now, so she can't say goodbye. So, but, I but, but before we go, I was just noticing in the end titles, uh, J- uh, Clifton James was billed fourth in the yep. end title list. Yeah. Sure. If you think After- about how much time he's on screen and his dialogue, oh, yeah. it's about right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Oscar worthy yeah. yeah. performance. <laughs> well, 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 some at UA were kind of hoping some have to said. get it there. People are saying. <laughs> all right. We will see you all again next week. Thanks very much, everybody. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.